Disasters, Dirty Harry and Disco Queens. Welcome to Marvel vs. Marvel. It's a podcast where someone who has never read a Marvel comic book before in their life watches a Marvel movie or TV show, and then they quiz somebody who is a, a, a Marvel expert, someone that was, in fact, taught to read with Marvel comics. And together they explore the rich history of of this incredible uh, incredible experience it is Marvel. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Rob Holden. I am a comedian, writer, and I'm also the Marvel expert half of this equation. And joining me today on our first part of the Dark Phoenix episode, he is powered by ignorance. It's Mr. Will Preston. Hello! It's a miracle I'm even here. It's a, he's poor, you've been poorly, haven't you? You have not been well. I, I have I have not been a hundred percent. I've been ill for two weeks. Uh, as I said online, it's like I got COVID from Wish. <laughs> Just not as dangerous, not as powerful, but it prolonged itself out for a while. Yeah, it's it's just basically like a bad flu, a bad uh, flu or cold bug, and it's like oh, it's it's been really depressing because I've had to sack off gigs and just sit sit at home, just sit. Do you know what I find quite interesting uh, uh, that I picked up from pop culture? Okay. In America, in America, flu almost always means vomiting and diarrhea, like a gastro problem. I think that's what the, it's actually supposed to be. In in the UK, it absolutely doesn't mean that. In the UK, yeah. a flu is a really really bad cold where you've got a temperature and you've got you know banging head and you can't you know you've got aches and pains and all that. But it doesn't it doesn't mean i picked up from sitcoms and movies that when they say flu in america yeah. it's generally kind of code for sickness and diarrhea whereas we don't do that over here we say sickness and diarrhea i think <laughs> and there was flu a line really bad cold i think there was a coronation street episode that got this clip got posted on harry hill or something where it's just like wonder what's in his bag and he walks past like tapping the the, the, the shop this bag from the shop and just goes sickness and diarrhea <laughs> it's just a very, how bizarre so uh, <laughs> ten, tenuously always found that bit funny we're very very excited to be bringing you the uh the i guess part three of our overall phoenix um event the first yeah. part of the closing chapter dark phoenix we are um going to be closing out this this incredible part of um of of marvel history arguably the greatest marvel story ever told uh, very very probably very clearly one of one of the most important marvel stories ever ever published um for a lot of reasons which we will of course be getting into um very excited for that coming up on the show uh, we'll go into the behind the scenes of how the dark phoenix came about why it is here we'll find out who was for and who was against the phoenix as a character on the x-men we're going to take a special look at dazzler the disco queen we're going to peer into uh, an aspect of the, the a time period that made wolverine the breakout star that he is to this day and we're going to be uh, delving into the true nature what is the true nature of the Phoenix? It's not as simple as you might think. And that is all to come on this episode, Dark Phoenix Part 1. And of course, if you're new to this journey, we are using 
X-Men the animated series as our guide mm-hmm. um, by using those those animated episodes that guides us through the comic book um, the comic book uh, iteration and it is an incredibly faithful adaptation as we've discussed um, in previous episodes and we've got some behind the scenes Will's got some great behind the scenes production uh, notes and quotes on that which we're very excited to get into but we have been asked for more updates yeah <laughs> Um, Will, I want updates on you first Yes uh, Where are you, where can we see you, how can we get in touch with you And who have you been seeing recently Who have I been seeing I uh, do believe a fan accosted you at a gig Yes, yes, yes I did a gig in Swansea uh, Funny story I thought uh, I was <laughs> yeah, I, I got to tell the story Because if, if you follow me on, on social media you'll know what happened I was supposed to be doing Swansea Fringe uh, The other weekend and basically, uh, I came up on the Saturday, uh, three and a half hour train journey from London to Swansea, and I went, oh, uh, I, I, the gig starts in half an hour, and I was like, oh, and they were like, your name's not on here, are you sure you're supposed to be here? Then I looked uh, at my emails and Facebook, it turned out the gig was on Sunday, so I then had to travel back three and a half hours to London, go to sleep, get up early in the morning and travel three and a half hours there, do the gig, another three and a half hours. Basically, I spent 14 hours on a train in one weekend. I felt like a character in, in an Agatha Christie novel. <laughs> but yes, oh. I, 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 it, it, it went well. It was a small, it was a small uh, crowd, but they, they, they enjoyed it. And of course, uh, I was really surprised to find uh, a, one of our listeners, Lewis, uh, popped, uh, popped in to, to, to watch, which was quite good. Did he heckle? He did not heckle. He did not. He was really lovely. We we had a, we had a nice conversation beforehand about about these. He and he, he's also really surprised, really taken aback when I said, "Oh yeah, we've not met in person." <laughs> he and Rob have not met in person. He was like, "Really?" <laughs> I was like, "Yeah," but yeah, it, it was so so nice because he just came in. He was just no, normal, friendly bloke, and and then he said, "Oh yeah, I I listen to Mum. I'm, I'm Lewis." Like, "Oh my God, hello!" So that was quite. And he uh, he's Lewis, who spells his name interestingly. Yes, is it with a three or something again? I, I forget. There's an R, there's an R Lou, 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 I, have so, I can't remember. I, as I said to him, because I'm really bad with names sometimes, you know, if people haven't really really met properly a person, I, I said to him, Look, I'm sorry if I forget <coughs> names. I, I'm really bad with names. But it was really nice to meet him, and it, 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 made, it made a very <laughs> odd weekend that little bit better. Where can we get you? Do, do you I mean, do, double check. Have you double checked all these dates going forward then? Are these definitely the dates now? Do you know what? They're as good as they can be. After what? <laughs> after what's happened? After what's ha- after that weekend? I'm like, you know what? Nothing's for certain. But if you if you want to try and catch me, this this is what Will <laughs> thinks his gigs coming up are. I know this is what I think they are. Uh, uh, Thursday the 11th, uh, I'm at the Freedom Fridge uh, at Rosen Crown in Kentish Town. Then on Friday the 12th of November. I'm in Norwich uh, with Hume, with Huma Comedy, uh, and then Saturday evening I'm uh, Saturday the thirteenth. I'm at Hoburn Comedy Club at the Yorkshire Great in you guessed it Hoburn, uh, and all, the, the week after Monday the fifteenth I'm at Pegasus again at the Rose and Crown in Kentish Town. It's a very popular venue. Seventeenth uh, uh, Wednesday seventeenth I'm emceeing. I'm hosting Clean Slate Comedy in Kentish Town because that's where everything happens. And Thursday the eighteenth. I'm at comedy at the Tabard at the Tabard Public House in Chiswick. And that's how you can get into the Will. You can also find all those dates and more information about his gigs if you head to him on Twitter at Will Preston. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And of course, he's not the only one you're going to be able to see live because uh, Marvel versus Marvel. If you missed the last episode, we will be exploding into a live show, a live podcast next year on Sunday, the 6th of February. It's a 2 p.m. afternoon show. It's part of the Leicester Fringe Festival, Leicester Comedy Fringe Festival. And we're going to be doing this at the incredible Attenborough Arts Centre in Leicester. Um, you can, uh, well, nothing's been released yet, so don't worry yet. Tickets aren't available yet. Things aren't announced yet. So don't worry about that. We're just giving you a heads up. We will let you know when tickets are available, and we'll have all the links for you. Um, but the, the the best thing is to follow us on Twitter, at Marvel Versus. People have been asking, though, Will. People have been asking. Not only have been saying we've got to come and try and see you, yeah. people have been asking... What what are we going to do? What's the subject of the of that podcast, that live podcast, going to be? So I thought we'd we'd kind of uh, pull the curtain back and and let everyone know um, we are going to be dealing with one of the what if episodes from the Disney Plus series. Hooray! Um, they're a great way for us to delve into things that are kind of perhaps outside of of the timeline mm. and our gradual progression through the MCU. Um, and I've had a look and and tried to find what I think is probably the best one, the most the most ripe for us to uh, pull apart and get into the timelines and the alternate timelines of. And I've chosen, I think it's the third episode. What if the world lost its mightiest heroes? So we're going to be exploring the MCU in a timeline where the Avengers never came together. What happens to S.H.I.E.L.D.? What happens to the rest of the world without its protectors? Who steps up and takes their place? If anyone, what happens to the villains without the heroes to oppose them? We'll dive in to the comic book stories that inspired these events. Uh, and that is going to be our first and possibly only ever live show. Uh, Sunday, 6th of February, the Attenborough Arts Centre in Leicester. Join me now into a dive into the mind of a I need a, a spooky voice because we're recording this on Halloween. But the, all the spooky oh, the Halloween episode was this last time. I just but I nearly went join me now because it's been a very spooky day. I was very join proud of that one. I was very proud of that one. <laughs> for a dive into the mind of a muggle, a man that's never read a Marvel comic book before in his life and doesn't always have the innate well never has the innate knowledge that I, that I have and I kind of take that for granted I, you know it's it's a very it's always an interesting trip to see what does someone who didn't grow up from the age of like three reading Marvel you know what do they know what do they think how do they first come to hear of them in these characters and terms and stories so was there any awareness before when when were you first kind of aware of Phoenix as a as a character and as a as kind of like a story concept. Uh, well, I think we all we all know when that was. <laughs> Don't pull that face, Rob. Don't. Pull oh that. God! S- say it then. It's Last Stand. <laughs> Last Stand was the first time I ever. I think right. I said it before in the Phoenix Saga episode. I was like, yeah, Last Stand was my first like thing into it, and then I played the X Men Legend games or whatever on the Xbox. And one of her powers, her her ultimate power was Phoenix, where she just turned into the Phoenix. And Which it's like, oh, big I fl- guess flame bird, you mean? Flame the big flame bird. She has she 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 goes on fire. Her hair goes up. She's sexy in a scary way, you know that. And I was like, guess that's that's the Phoenix. Then that's her thing. That's her alter ego. 
So your first encounter of because um, this this is kind of like a four, when we'll get into it, it's kind of like a four year. You know, she's Phoenix for several years before Dark Phoenix comes into play. Yeah. But when you first see the character, it's immediately in this thing of she becomes. I'm trying to. I can't remember. It's such a terrible film, but it's it kind of crops up, and she's a, she's just immediately very. Is there any explanation for it being powerful? I don't think there is. She's just powerful, the, 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 and she starts to go evil. I, I think in the film, it's like, oh, Charles goes, oh, he, she's like really, really powerful. That's my, that's the worst Patrick Stewart impression ever. It's like she's just really, really powerful, and I yeah. had to hold her back, and I was scared of her. And it's like, oh, but you shouldn't do that. You were controlling her, and and then and it just and then comes then out goes, of nowhere. Oh, oh no! Now she's turned me into dust. Yeah, it just comes completely you. out of nowhere, doesn't it? It yeah. does. It was like it was basically it was it was always lurking there. There was no setup to it. But to be fair, they set up they set up the character in two previous films, so you had a lot to go with. Unlike and I and I know we talked about this before the recording. Unlike the 2019 uh, Dark Phoenix film, which shoved a character that was re- that barely made a mark in the previous film, and did the same story. With way less results, way less effort. Oh god, I watched it because do, doing the notes for this episode and actually doing the research, and watching the episode, I went, "Oh, I'll watch the new Dark Phoenix film." I've not seen that, and I immediately wanted my time back watching that film. <laughs> it makes Last Stand look like Citizen Kane. I mean, that's impossible. Um, no, trust me, it's that bad. We're never doing it, so it doesn't matter. Um, so. <laughs> It is really interesting to see that you're an outsider's perspective on Phoenix and Dark Phoenix is that it's like kind of just this one event, mm. right? Jean Grey gets powerful and then is evil. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting because it is a, a much slower progress in the comic books and mm. uh, it really is something that is not intended at all and we'll get to that we will get to all of that uh but first will is the man to take us behind the scenes and uh and uh, on the, get into the production of these incredible episodes hey you know th- this is exact day in 1992 was the debut of the animated series we're recording on on the anniversary date it was, um, was, was reco- debuted on halloween yeah, I guess so. What, well, what yeah. a weird way to do that. Night, Night of the Sentinels. That sounds mm. like a horror film. Halloween. It does very much, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, sure. And and there's a kid running about the neighbourhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Halloween. Cool. Absolutely. Anyway, we have we have some very interesting production notes. Again, uh, a lot of historical context and detail uh, we found uh, in the in the book previously on X Men by Eric Leewald. Uh, who was a story editor on the animated series? So that this is the book that he was the giving. story editor. Yeah, it's he a great, great book. It's the, it's it's yeah. really chocked full of. Um, oh, I mean, it's everything. It's got scripts. It's got mm. script notes. It's got production notes. It's got interviews with everybody. Everybody involved at every stage of this. I mean, Eric Newell worked really, really hard on this book. Um, and if you're a big fan of that cartoon series, it's invaluable. Really, it's a really great. Um, it's a really great document of of a time when, you know, you can really look at before. This is the this is the cartoon series. The reason we talked about it. This is the cartoon series that changes almost everything for Marvel, um, because it, it opens Marvel up to to a huge, huge, thriving TV world and audience. It's on 
It's on um, network television with Fox, and you know it. It's directly responsible for us getting the the X Men movie in in the year two thousand. Absolutely, um, it laid so much for the for the MCU. It, it, yeah. Even if it was small little seeds at the beginning, small little seeds, but it yeah. all counts. It all counts. And it's such a faithful adaptation. Like like mm. that's that's the thing that I'm really interested in. Because you've done, you've looked into this, and you've you've kind of read what he said about this, and I I haven't. Uh, what I was really interested in is every time I'm going through this episode, and I'm going because it's been so long since I've seen it. Like with the first the first Phoenix stuff we do, we're going, why are they doing evil Xavier? Oh yeah, there's this yeah this this evil Xavier episode in the comics, and there's this and this and doing this now and going, oh yeah, Dazzler, <laughs> the Dazzlers. It's just so faithful to oh, the that, comic book series that reminds me in the dark phoenix film dazzler's there for like oh really oh yeah like split second I'm, 10 I'm, I'm, I'm seconds that. Yeah. and it's like it it, it, it it was kind of similar to this but kind of not and it was just like it was just such a throwaway bit in a very forgettable film anyway help us understand then then will what was their approach and and, and like how and why it was so faithful well speaking on the dark phoenix saga eric literally uh, has said that by the summer of 1993 the show had been a runaway number one hit for six months and we had completed writing the second season of scripts bringing the total stories to 26 at that point fox committed to three more seasons 39 more episodes Ooh. and that's a lot and i executive uh, sydney iwanta uh, producer scott thomas and director larry houston visited marvel's new york offices to brainstorm and discuss various characters and bits of storyline we would all like to see in the next 39 half hours phoenix and dark phoenix were at the top of marvel's list the only direct adaptation we had made so far was Days of Future Past, which we had suggested, and and it and the two Phoenixes were the only direct adaptions we've ever committed to. Every other story used bits and pieces from the books, but these were the big three. Hmm. Yeah, I totally understandable that. Primarily, we focused on Jean Grey, who was going through the Phoenix transformation, and on those people who cared about her most. Uh, secondarily, we focused on Xavier, whose connection to Lalandra brought the worlds beyond Earth into our stories for the first time. When we looked at the many subplots in the books, we trimmed them away or bolstered them, depending on how they helped support these two central through lines. We were excited to do it because we felt, we had felt that we had underused Jean in the first two seasons, and this gave us a chance to give her more screen time. By the third season, we had established that she was a kind of emotional centre for the team, someone who could talk honestly with any of the others who understood them. So we knew she would sustain a good story focus for our team of X-Men. It's really interesting how they um, how they, they talked about the two, the two stories they felt needed to be faithful adaptations are the two most famous X-Men stories, really, Dark Phoenix, the, the kind mm. of the Phoenix as a whole, Dark Phoenix Saga, and Days of Future Past, um, which uh, is the other one that it's a really huge landmark in comics. And, and it actually falls after the Dark Phoenix Saga, which is interesting, um, and does actually feature a future relative of Jean Grey. Um, and that's one we're going to definitely get a chance to do at some point. Um, it's just... I, I, I really want to do the animated version and not the movie, but I don't know how we're going to handle it. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. 
Uh, also, uh, there was a, a little change <laughs> in in the episode that, that, that caused me a bit of confusion because I remember the name coming up. In the original comics, the Inner Circle Club was known as the Hellfire Club. This was changed in the series due to censorship because of the controversy of using the word Hellfire in a children's program. When asked about this toning down, Eric said, As a children's show for Saturday morning TV, we were always aware of the tight limits we had on sex and violence. Limits far tighter than the comics had. Luckily, since we are focused on Gene, Phoenix and uh, Xavier and Landra, uh, adjusting secondary characters wasn't a big worry for us. Also, we believe we got the intensity of Jean's black queen sensuality across in her dialogue and in Catherine Dish's performance. Jean as Phoenix is so much bigger, more dramatic in animation than Jean as black queen that we that we never felt the loss. It's interesting that, isn't it? That that it, it, it's a very I don't know, not using the word hellfire in a children's cartoon. It's like they know what it is. Yeah, yeah, but th- th- this is um, this is the the rise of the of the kind of the, the, anyway. I don't want to get too much into censorship, but yeah, um, it is that period of time, and and uh, children must be protected from such damning words. I mean, it's a lot different in our country to America. So. We don't we don't have the same amount of um, controversy and censorship and, and sensitivity to the words of like God and damn and things like that. Yeah. Hell, those are, those have never been considered swear words, you know, in our, in our lifetimes, in our generation. And maybe you'd have, maybe when my, when my, my dad was a kid back in the fifties, maybe, um, maybe the sixties, but, but yeah, not for our generation, certainly not in the nineties, those were not words that you'd have to be worried. You know, I still hear it to this day when you watch when I watch things, whether it's it's actual people on kind of uh, TikTok, YouTube, or Twitch, or whether it's a TV show. There's an awful lot of um, people in America that sense themselves. They don't say they don't say, "Oh my god," it's "Oh my gosh," and that yeah. hits my ear. That makes me sound that that makes me think that someone is like they're reading from a script and they're being hardly they're being censured really hard. And mm. you know, there's there's a YouTuber I. I subscribe to who full on swears, you know, f bombs and all that kind of stuff, but doesn't, but says gosh instead of God, and it freaks me out every time. It's I, I it sounds so bizarre. I think to, to my to my ear, that's part of a vernacular that that you know is really you know implanted in set. I don't know the word. It's it's really in deep with some mm. cultures. You say gosh, yeah. like. Yeah, and you don't think of it as a misplacement for God. You think of it as its own word, its own and its own respect. You don't think of it as a replacement for a worse. In in this country, in I I think I think in this country we just think of it as another word. We don't think of it as a replacement for God. No, yeah, absolutely. You'd never you'd never switch it out. I mean, I don't even I don't I can't even think of I know I've got a friend who is uh, is a committed Christian. His father is a pastor and all of that. Even he doesn't say gosh instead of God. No, he says golly. You know, when he's That's speaking. <laughs> no, golly. he doesn't. But it's just very, very weird. Uh, not very weird. It's very different. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The Hellfire Club. Mm. Um, anything else, Will? Uh, no, that's it. The end of the production notes. Well, thank you ever so much for taking us through the production notes of that. And uh, allow me now to take us uh, behind the the page. This is um, it. It doesn't. I don't feel it conveys it enough for me to just say this is a really important story. Yeah, 
this is it, man. This is really it. We talked about how Galactus was so important for the Silver... You know, the Galactus story we talked about in the Rise of the Silver Surfer episode, like how hugely important that was for Marvel. Uh, and it was. And it defined, It kind of defined the Silver Age of comics. We, we talked about, you know, in our last episode, the Bronze Age of comics in, in, in Marvel. We talked about Man-Thing kind of being this this great thing of social commentary and also the, the supernatural horror-themed comics, which really typify the Bronze Age. And um, to just give a little, quick recap, because it does slip people all the time, and it's not really something that you have to think about as a reader, but if you like to study comics, the Golden Age is this period uh, before the, the Second World War of superheroes that stretches through the war. And then the Silver Age picks up in the fifties ish and through into the into the nineteen sixties, um, kind of ending with the death of Gwen Stacy. Um and then we get the Bronze Age, which which goes from the 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 seventies sixty nine, seventy, right the way through um to kind of the middle of the of the eighties. So what age are we in now, would you say? Currently We're in the paper age. The the the, the That's wedding, what, hap- isn't it? what happens is the modern age starts in the uh, technically the modern age starts in the nineteen eighties, mm. and but then and it's still happening now. But it gets broken down into. I think the people that come up with these names don't want to admit that <laughs> when they were reading, it was the the mid eighties, <laughs> and that's now a generation ago. Yeah. So it can't be modern anymore. But the modern age kind of gets split into lots of different eras. I don't quite know what they call yeah. what we currently are in because it, it doesn't get te- doesn't get named until after it's gone. Also, I don't like this fact that they started off gold and worked downwards. Like the the the, the timeline and of comics is diminished returns. There's nothing but diminished returns. <laughs> Yeah, it's just how whenever they do this, the golden age of television, the golden age of baseball, the golden age yeah. of football, it's always the past when it was first happening in a major place. That's always the golden age. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like, it's like, it's like the Renaissance. It was all happening. It was all new, and it happened. You know, made the rest possible. Yeah, this the Dark Phoenix saga is really kind of closing out the Bronze Age, mm. and it is such an important pivotal pivotal story that, that that has such um sophistication in its storytelling it completely levels up and changes the way that people thought superhero comics could be done um it it lays the absolute framework for frank miller doing daredevil that we've talked about yeah. in the 80s that it lays the groundwork i mean with without I mean, Alan Moore, as he is writing V for Vendetta and and um, Watchmen is being, or he's writing Watchmen and V for Vendetta is being put, when he's being interviewed about those seminal works, he talks about what an inspiration Dark Phoenix Saga was to him um, with, with those with those writings, and it's very very evident in in his um, Marvel Man slash Miracle Man series um, for 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 a kind of Eclipse comics, it's very evident that he takes a huge amount of inspiration from the Dark Phoenix saga, and that it left a real mark. It can it changed the way that you could do American superhero comics. It we wouldn't have had Dark Knight Rises, Watchmen, mm. you know, and some of these other great great kind of examples of it without without the Dark Phoenix saga, without the Dark Phoenix saga kind of doing this this raising the stakes 
raising the level of sophistication, yeah. raising the level of emotional kind of drama. <clears throat> and the the thing that is I think is very cool about it is that if we think about those those graphic novels or comic book series that really changed um the way that the public and the media thought about comics in the 80s and the 90s you know you've got a dark knight returns which is an imaginary future it's a one-off tale it's not not the real batman in the real batman universe you've got watchmen completely owned separate universe not affecting anything else going on in dc you know you've you've got sandman which and and swamp thing and and hellblazer which are mature reader only comics mm. separate from the dc universe Dark Phoenix Saga is is a major story in an ongoing comic book that was created by Stan and Jack. It's slap bang in the middle of the Marvel Universe. They're not... It's not... I don't want to say the others are cheating, <laughs> but there's, it's kind of like there's less on the line. Yeah. Um, or you could say they weren't given the ball. But, but Chris Claremont and John Byrne are doing this big high stakes emotional sophisticated story in the middle of a major major comic that um that, that that is read by all types of ages and whatever happens will have ramifications um that's not the case in the dark knight returns it's not the case in watchmen it's not the case necessarily in sandman um it it's it's an it's an impressive story i mean the, the, the themes that that we see in into playing of corruption and, and 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 temptation and identity, the burden of power. These are as relevant now as as they've ever been, you know. Mm. And there's there's nothing else in, in the world of superhero comics that was doing this level of sophistication at the time. You know, the end of the seventies, the start of the eighties. We see things like you know. Uh, the the depth of character that they are able to do with Jean Grey, we we look at, you know, this is nineteen end of yeah, this is a really start nineteen eighty. We we've had the Godfather one and two. We've had Empire Strikes Back. Mm. You know, pr- proving that audiences love this kind of depth of character, this kind of examination of morality yeah. and power and corruption. Um, we see it today in Breaking Bad and Game yes. of Thrones. Did you say but The Sopranos? It, Mm, no no okay okay i don't think so but anyway (laughs) but at the time there's something like that in comics you know gene gray is being given this hugely sophisticated story um and a huge depth was being kind of added to her to her to her character and that's really important too gene gray served no important function on the on the x-men really before (laughs) this story I'm, I'm, it absolutely did not. The early days of the X Men, the 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 very um, unenlightened, chauvinistic, sexist way that female characters were written by men. Jean Grey, like virtually every other token female character, was written as a love interest for the entire group. So you read the early X Men in the sixties; every single member of the team has feelings for her at one time or another, including Professor X. She's oh literally only there to serve as that love figure, as that yeah. figure of interest. And she's also there, the mother figure. She's there to provide kind of support and encouragement and all that kind of stuff. It's the same. So it, 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 this, with the Phoenix character, they, we talked about they completely level up her powers and they just push her to the forefront of the comic. 
which changes the dynamic and, and changes Jean Grey's kind of purpose and character. And the Dark Phoenix part, at the end of this story, vastly changes what she is and what she means and why she's there. Mm. Um, and it's kind of a key moment, not just for Jean Grey, but for female superhero characters or female characters in, in these superhero comics in general. Um, whether it's Invisible Girl on the Fantastic Four or the Wasp on the Avengers or Marvel Girl, which is Jean Grey on the X-Men, they're essentially the same kind of figure. Yeah. <laughs> they're there, they're there to, to, for people to, to kind of have this love interest in and to provide the mother role but they they don't nest they don't have the same level of agency and adventure and excitement as any of the male characters do. And by the seventies, start female characters are starting to become a bit more part of the conversation, but they never took control of it. Um, the Dark Phoenix saga changes that conversation completely. Um, it. it, it, it it was an explosion in terms of interest and excitement, and and Jean Grey is at the forefront of it. Mm. She becomes the most important character in the X Men and possibly the Marvel Universe because of this story. Um, and after, I mean, it did it did a huge amount really for for it, it a huge much more is more is done for female characters and superhero comics in the Dark Phoenix saga than the last however many decades of of Marvel. Okay. The, 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 after this kind of the, the first Phoenix story, where we see Jean get these powers and become a cosmic level hero, Marvel take um, a side character called Carol Danvers and mm. turn her into a superhero, and we get Carol Danvers launched into her own series, Ms. Marvel. After the Dark Phoenix saga is concluded and ended and, and kind of makes such an impact, we start to see the launch of brand new comics like She-Hulk and Spider-Woman, putting female superheroes at you know front and center in their own starring roles um and 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 the dark phoenix saga really changed the conversation when it came to that that's brilliant um we we, we talked about in in the the previous phoenix episodes that we've done that the motivation was to create with the phoenix the x-men's version of thor uh, a cosmic level hero yeah. that could take on the the big, you know, anchor the team, take on big, take on bigger battles and bigger fights, um, and just like Thor being a cos- being a god is integrated into this team of regular mortals. The hope by the people that created Phoenix, which were Chris Claremont and Dave Cockrum, was that Phoenix would be just as effectively immersed in the team and 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 and. Be a be an important, powerful character. Um, this this is important because Phoenix was not introduced with this Dark Phoenix story in mind. This was not one story conceived, beginning, middle, and end. This was not planned out four years in advance. Phoenix was introduced to level up Jean Grey and be a powerful new hero, and that was it. That was the end of the thinking, right? Okay. It wasn't meant to necessarily end. Yeah. It was just, this would be the new Jean Grey. Yeah, it's just like, as they usually do with Marvel, the story continues, the characters change. Sure, yeah. Um, but but Dave Cockrum leaves the X-Men series as artist and replaced by John Byrne, mm. who is an incredible artist. The art at this time is absolutely incredible. Um, it's part of why it is, it is 
easily the best run in the history of American comics. Um, and John Byrne is such a powerful creative force that he's not just the artist, he becomes co-plotter with Chris Claremont. Okay. So he is plotting out the the issues and the stories along with Chris Claremont, and then he's drawing them and Chris Claremont's writing the dialogue. So mm. they're very much co-co-co-creators. Um, nice. And they do not agree on <laughs> anything. <laughs> They are very creatively combative. They've both described it as being at loggerheads over everything. Characters, stories, dialogue, all of it. When Dave Cochran was in the mix, Phoenix was to be the focus of the X-Men stories. Okay. And and Chris Clement really loved that, and that was what their plan was. Nightcrawler was lined up to be the cool bad guy and the breakout star of the series. Oh, Okay. And Wolverine was not a popular character. <laughs> Nobody liked him, and they planned to kill him off. Okay. Everything changes when Dave Cockrum leaves and John Byrne comes in. John Byrne is never going to go with the flow. He has a powerful creative force who has big ideas and wants to be heard and is a great creator and a great artist and a great you know writer. And he had very strong feelings that the Phoenix was becoming too powerful that she was drawing too much focus in the book. According to John Byrne, he said in interviews, it had become a problem story-wise that Clement kept writing the Phoenix stronger and stronger and stronger and make her the dominating element of the X-Men. Another Marvel writer who was in the bullpen at the time called Steve, Steve Grant, he suggested the, the solution to this problem was that they should turn Phoenix into the villain. If uh-huh. she's going to be that powerful, if she's yeah. going to already cause you problems, actually make her the cause of problems. Um, John Byrne initially hated the idea, but he he eventually did see, seem he eventually kind of agreed that it, it it was the the best solution to get the X Men book back on track, back to being the X Men book rather than Phoenix and the X Men. Mm. Um, and and furthermore, it. It started to appeal to both Clement and Byrne because when they started to think about what they could do by turning Jean Grey into the villain, it started to make everything else they'd done with the Phoenix look like a very long story arc yes, about yes. power and about power corrupting, which was never the intent. But when you've got this new mindset at play of turning yeah. the Phoenix into a cosmic villain, all the previous Phoenix stories about her huge power levels, teleporting across the galaxy, throwing things into the heart of the sun, preventing the the end of the, the, the reality itself. It starts to look like it was actually there to lay the groundwork for this incredible transformation for Jean Grey to turn dark and, and get corrupted. Mm. But actually, the, the greatest Marvel story, the most powerful Marvel story of all time, came about just through Happy Accident. We love hearing from you guys each and every week. You guys get in touch and you drop us love. You tell us what you like, what you don't like, what you want to see, what you don't want to see in the movies you hate. Uh, we love getting those uh, those correspondence from you, be it Telegram, email, or uh, Pigeon. Uh, we we Pigeon. actually love it. You can always drop us a line, marvel versus marvel at gmail.com, or you can send us some shorter love to at marvel versus on the Twitter. That's also a great place to uh, 
get hold of all our latest updates. Will, what's in the MVM mailbag this time? Well, we've got uh, quite a few interesting letters in the mailbag. Why are you smirking, Will? Well, let's just say that sometimes I peek in the mailbag. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> First of all, Desi wants to weigh in on the X-Men Last Stand debate. Oh, for God's sake, Will. Just be thankful it's Last Stand and not Dark <laughs> Phoenix, you absolute philistine. Okay, carry on. Come on. <laughs> I'm so excited you guys are returning to the X-Men cartoons to complete the Phoenix saga. I was such a huge fan of the cartoons growing up, and when I went to college and took my TV VHS player with me, I took a stack of X-Men videos with me. I've seen every X-Men movie they've made, and none of them get close to the animated series. Here, that, here. That, that, absolutely. That being said, that being said, I really want to hear Rob being forced oh, to do this movie. God the damn more it. Will brings it Desi. up, the more I want it to happen. So if we all get a vote, then I vote for Last Stand. Who said you all get a vote, Desi? When did that happen? When did this become a democracy? I know, this is the Democratic People's Republic of Marvel versus Marvel. <laughs> the ironically titled Democratic People's Republic. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm gonna have to put a ban on these letters beyond it because I think, uh, yeah, carry on. I'm, I'm not. I don't have a response to him other than, "What's wrong with you, Desi? What's wrong with you? You don't get a vote." This is this is worth. Well, it. This, mm. your reactions are worth it. Your your tears are worth it alone. Uh, Gary F sends a small message to say, "If you guys do force Rob to cover X Men Three: The Last Stand, uh, then- uh, wait, 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 wait. is that is that all? Is that what is is it all this 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 month this week? Oh, is it just?" But I, I will. I'm not going to spoil anything, but I will say okay, there is a what pattern. Did, what did Gary say again? As I was saying before, I was rudely interrupted by a man who doesn't appreciate art. If you guys do, <laughs> <laughs> if you guys do force Rob to cover X Men Three: The Last Stand, then please, please, please film the podcast as well, so we can all see his facial expressions. It's going to be one facial expression. It's going to be dead. <laughs> the dead eyes of a of a man. Who wants to do anything else? Oh, I was about, about to say, uh, it's probably a good idea we don't film them because it's just, you know, sometimes I'm, 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 I'm actually, no, I'm not, not in my pants usually. I'm, I'm usually a bit worse for wear. <laughs> I'm, usually a bit, I'm in my, I'm in my casuals. Uh, we've got one more letter and good Lord. Good Lord. Jenny, oh, for God's sake. Okay. I, I, What's I this one then? I won't keep you hanging there. Jenny is on the fence. She says, first, thank you for making the most awesome podcast that keeps me going at the gym and gets me through my 45-minute commute at the start and end of every workday. We really are there for the commuters. Like, the commuters love us, man. Commuters and people who work long shift. We get a lot of, like, shift workers, people that work on their own in warehouses and building sites and stuff like that. They they love these these uh, these episodes. We really are giving back to the community and should be publicly funded. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> yes. Uh, Jenny says, now on to important matters. X-Men Last Stand! For God's sake. You're doing such a great job with the Phoenix Saga. I really don't think you need to spend any time on that movie. Right. Okay. Okay. Yes. Jenny is correct. She, she is correct. But there is a but. There is a caveat. It would be awesome to hear Rob's getting angry and Will's giggling for three hours. 
I, I, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done with this. Why would this be fun for you people? I don't understand why you giggle so much, Will. I, I, I just, I just, I just, <laughs> right. I just think it's fun. Okay, fine. Uh, in the next episode, we, we, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna come up with a way for you guys to vote. In the next episode, it's not gonna make it easy for you. In the next episode. We'll announce a thing, and there'll be a way for people that really want to torture me and create this <laughs> this monstrosity of an episode. We'll be able to vote to for it to happen or not happen, and we'll do it that way. But I'm not going to make it easy for you. End of mailbag, Will. End of mailbag. End of mailbag. Do you know why yeah. it's the end of the mailbag, Rob? Because the people have <laughs> spoken, Rob. The people <laughs> have spoken. <laughs> don't forget, you can drop us a line, Marvel versus Marvel at gmail dot com. Don't put, don't send any more of. I don't want to hear any more about that. Um, for the love of God, for, I will be serious. I will put my foot down. Don't make us watch Dark Phoenix. For the love of God, that is just cruel. The best way to get in touch with us is uh, by uh, heading to Patreon dot com slash Marvel versus marvel because look guys i mean who else is doing putting the work in on the man thing like we did for halloween who else who else is tackling the full complete phoenix saga in four episodes and giving this much historical context to not just the tv show but also to the comics way back in the 70s and the 80s. There's no one else like is out there doing this. And you know the work that we put into this. No one can listen to our two and a half, three and a half, four hour episodes and not appreciate the work that we do. You can't sit there. This is not three hours of two blokes bantering and chatting and having a laugh. This is... This is hard work and research. This is giving you what you need. Giving you what you want. We're the suppliers. You're the addicts. The only thing missing from this equation is that you guys have got to cough up and make it make it worth it. You've got to make it worth it because you know we deserve some of that cashola. We deserve your subscription on Patreon. That's where you can pledge your money to us to keep us going, to keep the lights on around here, to give back. Because right now, you're just consuming without contributing. That's late-stage capitalism. That's the end of our society as we know it. That's the end of any relationships between people. That's the end of any cool project. How many times has a cool podcast or blog or or tv show or or anything that you like twitter account twitch account tiktok account just stopped in them out of the blue it's because you're not giving them what they need you're not supporting them the way that it needs to be supported you've got to take steps and make sure that doesn't happen marvel versus marvel we need your support to stay on the air but you know what more than that you need us this isn't don't get it mixed up don't get it mixed up you need us more than we need you guys and you need to make sure that you're doing the right thing patreon.com is where you can pledge but in in exchange for pledging we're going to give you that sweet sweet bonus bonus content um this month is the month where we have dropped our obscure marvel obscure marvel is our bonus spin-off show where uh, me and Will tackle the most obscure and ridiculous characters in the Marvel Universe. And uh, in the month of November, we have dropped one on Swarm. 
and the Nazi bees and uh, man, what was that like? Um, I don't want to ruin anything, <laughs> but I I think it might be the best one yet. I've never seen you laugh harder. I I was I I, I was creasing up. I I uh, I think I still hurt from it. I, <laughs> I I was laughing that hard. You get access to um to uh, obscure Marvel a mini episode that's released every single month. You get early access to all these episodes. Our patrons get them three full days before the rest of the world spend the whole weekend with us. And also every month we drop a full-length bonus episode where we dive into a Marvel story event or character backstory that is never going to see the light of day in a Marvel TV show or or, or movie. Um, and if it does, it won't be done in the correct manner. This month, the month of November, I've been thinking about both Thanksgiving for our American listeners and Guy Fawkes for our UK our home base. And so I decided there is actually a story that can kind of touch both worlds at the same time. So we're going to take a trip back to the 17th century for a Marvel tale of gunpowder plot, plots against the crown, the Inquisition... Ooh. And the new world of the Americas, the, the newly founded land. Neil Gaiman's first ever Marvel Universe story. The year is 1602. And for some reason, the Marvel age of superheroes is happening hundreds of years too early. 1602 is the name of the event. And that is going to be our full-length bonus episode in November. Very timely very cool there's so much to dig into seeing uh 17th century versions of all your favorite marvel characters come together all i can mind-blowing see, stuff all i can see right now is a mahogany iron man i just i just could imagine him being made of mahogany <laughs> made of wood wood man um there are numerous tiers that you can uh, help us out on uh, if you pledge just a bargain basement three pounds per month tier you pledge that to support us and you show us your love. You get access to obscure Marvel mini-episodes every month. If you pledge £5, you get obscure Marvel and you get early access to all our episodes. If you pledge £10, you get early access, you get obscure Marvel and you get the full-length bonus episodes. And if you've got a great big set of dangling cojones. Mm. You pledge that 20, that do the right thing tier, like Zach Thomas does, like Mikey W does, like Peter J does. You pay for all the lights to be on around here and you get your name spread with pride in every single episode because you're the guys at the top of the tree. Um, those are the real big spenders. Hey, but we just got an incredible uh, new subscriber that joined us quite recently and reached out with a a message that um, that I thought was really, really cool. Sam, a new addition to our Patreon family, Sam writes in to say, Hey guys, I've been listening to your awesome podcast for a while now without subscribing. Sounds like it's time to do the right thing. But I got a pay rise this month, and the first thing I purchased, the first thing, Will, I purchased <laughs> was a subscription to Marvel vs. Marvel so I could catch up on the long list of bonus episodes that until now have been out of my reach. I am slowly working my way through them. I started with Superior Spider-Man. Then I went on to the Clone Saga. And I am currently listening to this week's bonus episode on the Spider-Verse. You may have guessed 
I'm a huge Spider-Man fan. I listened to the bonus episode Future Imperfect as well. Oh my word. This is a new favourite episode. The way Peter David breaks down the character of Banner and Hulk and then builds them back up again, I was gripped. And the proposition of how Hulk's life could turn out was incredible. I will be getting my hands on a few comics from Peter David's run on Hulk as soon as I can. Thank you for that awesome episode. Highly recommend that, Sam. I highly recommend Peter David's run on kind of anything, but Hulk is especially cool. Um, Sam goes on to say, I think... Like a lot of people, I got into Marvel with the 90s cartoon shows. They blew my mind, and I got so absorbed into it that I've been a massive fan ever since. I have read a few comics, not as many as I would have liked to, however. I'm trying to rectify this. I'm in contact with Nash Comics, our old friends, about getting a few series subscriptions orders set up. Um, and Sam asks us some questions, Will. He says, oh, yeah. what's been your favourite episode to date? that you've made and which Marvel movie project are you most looking forward to? And is there a story they haven't told that you would love them to do? Sam goes on to say, I honestly can't put any sort into any sort of words, the joy that listening to your podcast gives me mentally. I've struggled over the past year. And one of the best helps I've had in getting me through dark days is the two of you. So I just wanted to say a big thank you. Keep it up. That wow, man, so Sam. Nice. That is so nice to hear. We we love hearing <clears throat> things like that. You know, you're you're not alone, um, and I mean that kind of spiritually, but I also mean that like in the sense that we we hear from a lot of people kind of reaching out and saying they've had dark days, especially in the last year, and um, and that that sometimes it helps having something like the, our podcast. Not that we're a cure or anything, but sometimes it helps to have something like this that can distract you and and make you laugh and smile and uh and entertain you and tell you stories and we love doing that and sam you're part of the family now um now that you've done the right thing you're in the click so to speak um <laughs> and uh welcome anytime uh drop us a line anytime so uh, so will what's been your favorite episode that we've made oh do god think? don't make me choose mate don't make me choose there's there's two i i, I think I, I usually think what's what's my favorite episode usually depends on how much i loved the film oh really okay but i i don't know actually i do have a i i think the superman episode is definitely up there i yeah. know it's, i know it's incredibly yeah. incredibly weird to say that considering we're a marvel podcast there um, was just so much we did though oh absolutely absolutely um i i i'll give you a minute to think and i'll say i i really think spider-man 2 is special for me yeah i was gonna say that I, too i found a a letter in an old in 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 the issues of the comics we were covering and it was from a uh, a young man going off to fight in vietnam oh yes and it was yes. a letter about how much marvel comics and spider-man meant to him and i just i just loved putting that context in there and i loved having this this kind of reaching this point of don't let anyone ever tell you that that these stories and these comics and these characters and these things aren't important because to some people they're the most important thing going on and they can get them through something really rough which i think maybe ties into to sam's kind of point about how he feels that we've helped out um so i really think that one is special and just for the sheer weight of research and work that superman one is 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 special as well like i had uh, uh, several books on the go 
at the same time and plenty of interviews I had to pour through with Siegel and Shushter and, and all that kind of yeah, so that was uh... also with the spot with the Superman one. The fact that we actually looked into the theme tune as well—that stuck with me. That stuck with me, and I actually listen to the Superman theme now every now and again. And yeah, it's I'm like, the same. I'm the yeah, same. Yeah, it's that third bit, you know. That... <laughs> it's like it's such a great little oh, bit, and I, I yeah. never would have spotted that if I, we didn't actually go, yeah. go to the lengths of go of looking at the theme tune. Yeah, I think that you're right. Those ones are really cool because sometimes you can get kind of caught up in almost the churn, as it were. Of we know what we do. We've got we've got our format. We know what we do. We do this. We do that. We do this. We do that, and then we make an episode. It's really nice sometimes to to when when we through inspiration or whatever stumble across something and we go, but but this is really important. Let's let's take a look at this. Let's take a look at that. what have we found and what is different. Feels so less, think, of, yeah. less of a production line and more of more of like a yeah our artisanal approach. We have fun with every episode, but oh, I think those absolutely. are the ones that kind of stand out. I think also the Blade episode for me. The Blade episode was the first one where I was like, oh, we're gonna do a little something different. Yeah, we decided it, to go before the MCU. It felt and, good because we really needed to not do all the MCU films because the podcast would have ended by now. <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't think we had that in our mind at the time. Yeah. But I, I, I was also, it was cool to just go, here's a brief history of horror comics. Yeah. And they were at one point completely outlawed. Um, so that was, that was cool. Um, Marvel movie project you're most looking forward to. I, I don't, I, I, I don't really know. I, uh, Sam Raimi doing doing Doctor Strange will be. That's, I love Sam up, Raimi. That is up there for me. Absolutely up there. Um, and I guess the um, the the Spider Man movie, if it's going to kind of do something fun, it, it, you know, I don't. I, I love I love Sam Raimi's Spider Man, and so some of those characters look to be uh, reappearing in in the next Spider Man movie. So I guess that'll be fun. I um, want to see the next Thanos event, you know, because it's, it's the, 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 you know, we've already had hints and stuff and, like, murmurs. I think my ne- the next project is what would probably on Kevin Feige's wall called Untitled Thanos Event would be the name of the, the, ne- the next Infinity War-style film. I think I think we all kind of know what it's what, who, who's going to be involved and what it's going to be. Yeah, I, can't, um, I, I had to stop been... myself a bit and, like, not spoil it's it. It's hard, isn't it? It's yeah. hard, because I don't know who's, who's catching up and whatnot, but, yeah... Let's just say um, a lot of it. There, 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 there's a lot of pieces moving and pink things being put in place to make, to make this happen. Uh, is is there a story they haven't told that you would love them to? I think that's really hard, man, Sam. Because like uh, the Phoenix Saga within the MCU, out of Fox's hands and completely under Kevin Feige's control. I don't need it. I've honestly, I've got, I've got, <laughs> I've got this animated. This animated version is pretty much perfect. I don't need anything else. Well, we said it before. I don't know if we said it before on here on, on a secret episode. Uh, Age of Apocalypse spanned across five films. Oh, yeah. that was I, we, did, we recorded a special episode with someone. M- my concept was for a whole phase to be the Age of Apocalypse. So all that the movies so that you would normally brave. do in a full phase would be all Age of Apocalypse. So you, 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 it would be Age of Apocalypse... Spider-Man, Age of Apocalypse. What's Black Panther and Thor doing in the Age of Apocalypse? You just get a full, like, yeah, four or five movies in the Age of Apocalypse and then resolve it at the end. Mm. Um, thank you ever so much for writing in, Sam. We really, really appreciate it. We're really glad that we 
you know, are, are able to brighten your day a little bit because that's what this is all about. Uh, and we're really glad you're finally doing the right thing. Um, guys, you can do the right thing. You can be like Sam. You can do the right thing as well. Head on over patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel there are so many cool bonus episodes coming we've got it planned out uh i let will know the other day what we're aiming for for the rest of uh of this year um oh it's spicy and then we've got some cool things for next year so just you know make sure you're in you're uh, in the right place to get cool cool bonus content in november and december patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel We've taken care of business. We've really laid the table in terms of context of production and the background of the, of the comics themselves. It is time for us to kick off part one of the uh, of the Dark Phoenix saga. We're taking a look at two episodes um, in in this first chapter of the Dark Phoenix saga. So, Will, do what you only you can do, and please take it away. Right, we're pressing play on the old VHS tapes from back in the nineties. Part 1. Dazzled. At the Muir Island facility, Jean Grey is being examined for her powers as the Phoenix. As the celestial entity speaks through Jean, Charles tells it that it'll do harm by remaining inside Jean. After Phoenix's energy destroys the equipment, they realise that they might not be able to help Jean. So obviously, if I remember, Gene falls back to Earth in an episode between sagas because I actually went through all the episodes of the X Men animated series as soon as it was on Disney Plus, <laughs> which, which was a great. Yeah, so so it, it does kind of mirror the comics. Really, there's a, a storyline where Gene becomes the Phoenix, and then she's the Phoenix for quite a period of time. Yeah, you know, she's to save the Earth and everything. We took, we covered that in the Phoenix Saga where they go to the Shia Empire and they save all of reality, the Emkran crystal and all of that. And then there's a period of time in between where she's just the Phoenix with the X-Men. Um, and in the comics, it lasts for a, a long while. And, of course, in the in the, the animated series, it's a few episodes. But, yeah, she was kind of presumed dead mm. at the end of um, the Phoenix saga. Um, but, yeah, to your point, she does kind of crash land on Earth and... Is is then you know is a member of the team for for a bit in in various different episodes. Um, yeah, yeah, because I I I got the idea because there was like three episodes in between Dark Phoenix and Phoenix Saga, I think, in the animated series. So I was wondering if they did this <clears throat> if they did this in the uh, is if they had that same kind of length of keeping her as the Phoenix in the comics. Um, it's it's like Phoenix from the start of Phoenix to I think the end of Phoenix is about four years. Wow! So it's a it's it's a good period of time where she is the phoenix, yeah. Um, okay. And then they decide this is not working. <laughs> we need to we need to wrap this up. Yeah, having an overpowered character does that. I'm afraid. Well, wop 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 wop. Oh, it's wait a minute. Is this <clears throat> the whole thing about uh, the definition of overpowered? No, overpowered does not apply to characters and stories. It can only apply to gaming. Oh god, I forgot it's a gaming term. Yeah. <laughs> Overpowered. Overpowered. Oh sorry, they increased the numbers on a hit score or mm. whatever. And they they go off and have a little side quest. No, they don't. It's a story. Side quests happen in real life. It's called hobbies. Anyway. So is this how the Dark Phoenix saga starts in the comic books? So are they just on Muir Island and that's how it is? Um y- 
Yeah, so one of the big stories right before this is, is called uh, the, the Proteus Saga. Mm. Um, a lot of sagas. Um, it's all about the sagas. And that's in Edinburgh, Muir Island. They're Edinburgh. battling... Sorry, I meant Scotland. There is Edinburgh <laughs> right at the end. <laughs> stand-up comedian, right? Typical stand-up comedian. There's how reductive. <laughs> I, my, apology, my apologies to everyone in Scotland. I'm really sorry about Nothing that. Nothing else in Scotland but, apart from Edinburgh. Brilliant. I, I did kind of flood my words because it does end in Edinburgh, which is what I was thinking of. Gotcha, um, gotcha. So it's all of Scotland, Muir Island. A, a big thing happens in Edinburgh. They're battling something called Mutant X. Right. Um, which is a mutant of such, like vast psionic power that he can warp reality and 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 physical structures and physical matter with with its thought with his thoughts it's a mutant mutant x has no body it, it's destroyed its own body by being too powerful right and so it kind of body jumps from host to host burning through their physical form oh, now that is kind of like a trope now in in science fiction i can't think of anything before Proteus d- did that. Wow. I'm not saying it directly influenced everything that came after it, but it's the first I can think of that had a host that goes from body to body. When it's in the body, it's so powerful it burns the body up. That is a real trope now of, of a lot of kind of sci-fi and, and fantasy kind of TV shows and stories and stuff like that. Um, in in the event, I mean, the event as a whole l- left like a really indelible mark on the X Men at this time, because like most of the cast of the X Men had been possessed, um, and had to force to fight each other. So they're kind of like it, it, the the Phoenix Saga starts with them uh, dealing almost with this kind of um the the emotional impact of having their free will stripped from them, yeah, by by a creature, you know. That hadn't. Sometimes you read a comic now, the X Men. You go, that must have happened to them eight thousand times. This is the first <laughs> time it happened. The first time something like that took place. And the, the Proteus kind of event ends with Colossus being forced to kill Mutant X, and that really haunts Colossus. He mm. is not Wolverine. Colossus is a very gentle soul. He is a lovely boy, and we must all protect him. Well, he kind of protects um, himself. Kitty Pride joins the X-Men, she's 13 and a half, and he's 19, and stuff starts to happen. So oh. I don't know if he's a lovely boy, he's oh, no. a bit of a nonce if you ask me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but, the, but, the, but the, the, this 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 set of events, um, kind of the Hellfire Club story and, 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 and the Dark Phoenix stuff, it all kind of begins with them on, on, on Muir Island, yeah. Mm. Okay, cool. Okay, so before we really get into it, because because the animated series really you know get gets all the characters together, let's compare the rosters before we get into it. Oh, so good it, idea. Yeah, good idea to compare rosters so we know who's who's in and who's out. In the uh, animated series, the X Men are Cyclops, Phoenix, Wolverine, Beast, Storm, Gambit, Rogue, and Jubilee. Uh, who are the X Men team during the Dark Phoenix saga in the comics? Uh, Gambit and right, Gambit uh, uh, only kind of came about at the very start of the nineties, so he's right. not there. Okay. Rogue hadn't been introduced. Had she been introduced? She'd been introduced, but she's a supervillain at this period super- of time. Yep, yep, yep. Jubilee hadn't been created yet. Um, she's so very eighties, the- isn't she? Jubilee. Um, she dresses very- like a nineteen eighties cyberpunk. 
she's very end of the 80s mm. and i think really more more than 90s yeah okay. i would say in terms of her well end of the 80s start the 90s so the the uh the, the crew is cyclops phoenix storm um and wolverine they're the same and then uh nightcrawler and colossus are on the team um they just lost banshee after the proteus saga he doesn't want to be an x-men anymore he's going to be with uh, moira mctaggart and he's going to wear uh, the love of his life and kind of help her at the end of that saga they offer membership to cyclops's brother havoc and his girlfriend polaris but they turn it down um angel is in close contact with the team and he turns up throughout this series of comic book issues to help them out okay. but he's not a team member he is a private individual with a lot of money yeah lots um, of money and during this this um story they first meet kitty pride um who joins the team for the whole like 80s um and it's her spot on the team that basically that she gets replaced almost by by jubilee as the young kid on the team that is has a close relationship with like father not close relationship with wolverine and kind of like a big brother almost father kind of thing yeah kitty pride joins slap bang in the middle of this kind of hellfire dark phoenix well she first appears during this and she joins a little bit later on after right after the end of dark phoenix i'd say it's like the it's almost like the the yeah the the issue right after yeah it's quite quite a pivotal moment for the team um with the with the roster changes okay we're all sorted with that so back to the story meanwhile at a club in new york cyclops and gambit are watching a performance by dazzler Suddenly, Cyclops gets a psychic signal from Jean and heads off. Outside the club, Cyclops witnesses several masked figures kidnapping Dazzler. One of the figures is dressed in 18th century clothes, and when Cyclops blasts him, his arm uncovers, revealing a cyborg arm underneath. Picking up a parking meter with his robot appendage, he advances on Cyclops, but is quickly blinded by Dazzler and makes an escape in a car. When Cyclops asks who the figure was, Dazzler said he's some kind of big shot who won't take no for an answer. Okay, you know when you're like kidnapping someone or doing something evil at night, you think dressing like a dandy would make you stick out more, wouldn't it? Yeah, in the Hellfire Club, we're always really weird with that kind of appearance and the utter. But I do think there is something rather. um, There is something rather kind of creepy and. It's something quite arrogant, like yeah, the, the utter confidence to dress like that, knowing full well that you're so rich and powerful you can buy and sell anyone who would question you or whatever it might be. Yeah, that you can just carry on like that really weirdly in the in the world around you. You can go out and do a kidnapping dressed in 18th century, 17th century garb. And it's not really gonna. It, it make it. It kind of makes. I think that that um yeah that kind of flagrant aspect of it kind of almost makes it a bit creep creepier and almost scarier and very powerful. It makes me think they're playing the game on hard mode, or like if if you were a video game player, <laughs> they're gonna go. You know what? You know what? I'm gonna go for a real challenge. I'm gonna do the whole game dressed as George Washington. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's that kind of arrogance, that kind of, I'm so good. I am so good at this. I'm so, if you will uh, forgive me, overpowered. I can do this as George Washington. It's kind of this untouchable nature, I think. Yes, yeah. it's it's yeah. As you said, it's the arrogance. Also, uh, we've we've also be, uh, talked about Dazzler. We mentioned Dazzler earlier. I think in this, uh, we talked about her being a disco mutant. But here, she's dressed like uh, a bad the bad girl in a nineties pop group. They really sort of tried to update her a bit here. They well, they take the look from yeah. They take the look from how she appears later on in the comics generally so yeah. she sort of updates when disco uh, dies do you want to hear the dazzle story do we do you, can you tell us can you tell us about yeah her? oh yeah of course um, oh good we get that it's so it's just so <laughs> faithful because there's uh, we, i've watched all these episodes there's no reason for dazzler to be here the only reason that dazzler is here is because this is where she makes her first appearance in the original comics, and the animated series was like, we'll do that then. Um, oh. It's great. So, in the 1970s, Casablanca Records <laughs> approached Marvel Comics and wanted to do a crossover promotion gimmick. Yes. So, Casablanca would set up a wild-looking new disco singer with a distinctive mm. look, and Marvel would feature that character as a superhero in her own adventure series, while the real-life singer toured and sold records. Oh, God. Big cross-promotion. Yeah, but I, remember, um, I if, vaguely remember us talking about this. If all went well, Filmworks was in the mix to then yeah. create uh, a live-action tie-in movie. Right. Um, the, 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 the singer would use the stage name Dazzler, yeah. and it would be disco-based. Um so, yeah, editor-in-chief at the time, Jim Shooter, was all aboard on this. Eerily similar to how Secret Wars comes about. It's a tie-in thing with there needs to be this, there needs to be that. Yeah. Do a big tie-in thing with the toy company. That was that was um, always weird, that Secret Wars thing. Yeah. It's like it's, it was a tie-in with a toy company. It was like, this sounds really hollow. Yeah, it's how you get He-Man and, and all those other things. Um so yeah, it comes about. Jim Shooter writes the, the you know, a, a thing for the whole project. Tom DeFalco is a writer. He he becomes the lead writer behind her, and the incredible artist John John Romita Senior designs the look of the character. Um, originally taking inspiration, and there's a drawing of this mm. from Grace Jones, oh, who was yes. actor, singer, model, Bond girl. Um, in an interview with um, Sci-Fi Wire. John Romita Jr. Um, said, Tom DeFalco, Tom DeFalco came to me and said, we have to create a character that um, goes to clubs. And I said, Grace Jones. That's the first thought I had. Her hair was buzzed at the yeah. time. She was stunningly beautiful, mm. statuesque, wore these skin-tight outfits. Um, she was on roller skates in, in certain pictures. That's <laughs> the character. Um, if you want to do a disco 70s character... Um, and unfortunately, um, when Marvel really wanted this and pushed, they liked the idea of a woman of colour and all of that. Yeah. Filmworks said they, they needed the actor model to look like Bo Derek because they had Bo Derek on contract with them. And when we get this going as a movie, Bo Derek is going gonna, is gonna to be the actress that plays Dazzler. Oh, wow. She'd recently just done um, 10 with Dudley Moore, and kind of become a made made her first name for herself. Um, 
so the design had to be changed from Grace Jones to looking just like Bo Derek. Um, the film project was uh, fairly quickly cancelled. Um, Filmworks refused to let Bo Derek's husband, John Derek, direct the Dazzler movie. So that fell apart and Filmworks was soured on the idea. And also during this time, a rather nasty public backlash against disco had kind of taken hold in the in the in the public mind uh, uh, like it was such it was such a go-to joke yeah in in comedy and all that sort of stuff disco sucks disco sucks was a major major catchphrase and slogan um in 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 towards the end of the 70s um yeah so, it, it, it died a heavy death it died yeah. a massive death so the record deal was also dead so now marvel and have got this character. Uh, they've they've done the the first issue is well she she makes her first appearance on Canny X Men one thirty in nineteen eighty. They'd put her in X Men because one of their popular titles, and they were going to make her a mutant to tie her in with that. Mm. So they've debuted the character, and then the film deal dies, and the tie in <laughs> Ca- uh, Casablanca Records deal dies. So Marvel have just got this character, this disco character they never wanted. Um, <laughs> but they, they they go ahead with the character. They they they've invested stuff in it and they they go ahead with it. She she first appears in these in these X Men Hellfire stories um, as a popular singer who Cerebro detects her as a mutant and they discover that that Dazzler has the ability to convert sound into uh light and energy so on stage she uses her powers to create incredible light shows for the audiences that's what she was doing in the dark phoenix movie it was kind yeah. of, and it was like oh great we get a winker for that and that's probably the only thing they did well yeah um so yeah what she takes in the noise from around her the louder the better and and turns it into into this and no one knows she's a mutant people think it's just uh special effect for the on-stage performer, right? Yeah. Um, Because there aren't really any public mutants at the time because mutants are very strongly hated. Almost, or hated almost as much as disco. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Maybe she should have come out as a mutant and uh, (laughs) stayed in the closet as disco. I'm a mutant. Uh, Also, I really love disco. Uh! <laughs> so uh, the Hellfire Club come to try and recruit her because she has this, this she's a powerful new mutant and all of the first detected her and she gets into this to this kind of like fight and with the X-Men and it it it, it becomes apparent that she she can actually so she she uses it's like kind of strobing lights uh and high powered lasers she can create from her hands well, the way it's actually written in the original the original depiction of it is that the light that she emits and she can fire into someone is so bright and powerful mm. it causes the mind to shut down oh okay it's not like you get dizzy or you're slightly blinded your brain turns off almost like a <laughs> I, I mean i don't know if they knew this but almost you know how how strobe lighting can affect people with Epileptic sensitivity. That's exactly what I was going to say. Like an epileptic, because that's what happens in epilepsy. Your brain actually, you know, no, you, yeah. you shuts down. Yeah. Oh God. Um, but I don't know if that connection was there at the time. But anyway, that's that's kind of her powers. They ask her to join the X Men, and she says, 
No, <laughs> I would not want to do that. Because, fact, because really my good. feature's in disco. The long... The quote's really, really good. Um, <laughs> she says, like, this is... She's, like, has no interest in fighting people. Mm. Which, like, surely there should be more mutants like that. Uh, they all seem to join the X-Men rather than just be like, no, thank you. Um, Dazzler says, the, the quote from her in the thing is, this is what I was born to do. Uh, the Avengers and the X-Men may get off on saving the world from super menaces, but they'll never know the satisfaction of making a hall full of people feel just a little bit better about life. Aww. Which is a really touching way of putting it. It's also what we do. Um, it, we, we are we are, fact, we are much better than Disco. She's incredible. Like the, Her design is just ridiculous. She is like uh, the magical spirit of Disco itself. She wears rollerblades all the time roller skates sorry all the time uh into battle she has this this glittery silver jumpsuit on she has eye makeup you know dazzling kind of like massive blue and silver eye makeup under the eyes that kind of stuff is back in fashion now but it's it's incredible she wears a disco ball necklace around her neck that's just unwieldy she it's not a full disco ball mate it's a miniature disco yeah ball. but i'm looking at a picture now and i'm still thinking that's unwieldy she was also able to weaponize her disco ball by firing light into it and having it spin around and fire light out at people like this is sick this is incredible <laughs> stuff man um then and marvel for whatever reason didn't just decide to push on with her she got her own comic book series that that almost felt like it wasn't really... It was so... I remember I had, I bought a stack of them secondhand when I was a kid because I bought any Marvel stuff when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and I knew she was an X-Man at the time, so I bought it. Um, it was so different to any other comic book I'd read at all. It was really... It was about... She was a reluctant adventurer, not reluctant. a hero. Yeah. She didn't go out and save people particularly. It was almost like... Um, it was almost like the format of like murder she wrote or something it's not her job she's a disco singer but then something terrible happens to someone around her and so she has to help does that yeah. make sense she's not she's not going out there to back, fight crime or whatever she's and it was about her thing. yeah it was about her like juggling tour dates paying the bills gigs getting cancelled um dating dating was a big part of it um it dealt with some social issues as well like she was drugged and manipulated by a possessive partner um she was terrorized by an obsessive and violent stalker i'll never forget that issue that really left a mark on me as a kid i don't think she used her powers once in the whole issue but it was all about a stalker and how how obsessive and awful and deranged he was and how terrified dazzler was by it um and um she was outed as a mutant without her consent or permission and you can kind of read all that you know as you often do with mutants in in the x-men is an allegory for you know sexuality you know closet closet being used and stuff um she she don't know that seriously i don't know it's she has a a lot of fans based on that like like not she has like a real underground group of fans um and they're quite vociferous and passionate about dazzler i don't quite know why I do think there's a lot of cool things about her. She does eventually join the X-Men. Um, she gets a complete redesign of her appearance. Yeah. She leaves the disco outfits behind and the roller skates, and she looks pretty much like she does in in this cartoon series. She gets the jacket uh, and the headband. 
and she gets that kind of cool star design. Yeah. Um, she's a mainstay of the team during the 1980s um, when they're that they're most popular. She's in the arcade game uh, and she's in the first TV movie they did that didn't kind of work, but she's a such a major part of the team. She's on that. She's in that cartoon movie. Um, but then, uh, for one reason or another, uh, she kind of gets completely left behind for the entire 90s. Um, but yeah, Dazzler, man. So what, they just, they just sort of plopped her, plopped her away and then thought, hey, we can get her out for 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 Dark Phoenix film, and that's it, as a reference. Um, well, the reference is because it's tying back to the to the to the original stuff. You know, it's a throwaway thing. Uh-huh. She's cropped up. She's cropped up since since the nineties and it, it, occasionally and stuff, but never really uh, as she was in in the eighties in her heyday. Okay, cool. That's cool. So back to the story. Back at the X-Men mansion, Cyclops bumps into Wolverine in the kitchen. But before they can engage in small talk, Jean suddenly enters, prompting an emotional embrace from Scott. Jean has been having therapy for her condition, and Cyclops notices that she's still very distant. Charles tells Scott that the treatment must continue at the mansion and will continue to do what he can. But if Jean has any chance of survival, she needs to draw strength from her psychic rapport from Scott. Uh, I will say though, it's a bit risky doing this at the mansion, though. Which what? You know, treating Jean for this uh, cosmic entity that's inside of her when they had a facility to do this in <clears throat> a remote well, I don't, facility. I don't know. They, yes, that's very true. It was a remote facility? I don't think it's designed for this, but it was a science. It was a, a laboratory on an island somewhere. Yeah, but I don't know, man. They don't exactly have neighbours in Westchester. There, I I know, but they're near a major population centre. Very true, but they don't. No, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just trying to find holes where I can, bro. Why? Because I like <laughs> ruining things. Um, I would think that the the general approach of the X Men is as wonderful liberal lefties is taking. <laughs> I would think more of a holistic approach to treating the the human being rather than what you feel is an ailment. Yeah. So it would it not be like treating her as a prisoner by keeping her on a remote island facility? True. Um, true. Yeah. That- if if they it depends on I think they do the Proteus saga after this. Mm. I think the Proteus saga would really inform how you feel about <laughs> what's going on. Cause you'd have bad memories of Muir Island and it's prison slash laboratory status but also you'd say hey really powerful beings might be dangerous yeah true look what happened to edinburgh (laughs) very true so uh this psychic uh rapport comes up several times in the story is it something from the comics does is this a thing they've carried over yeah um it plays a kind of a pivotal yeah, pivotal role in the Dark Phoenix saga. Um, uh, but it's introduced in a flashback. So the X-Men have this downtime. Hmm. Um, kind of because they don't know what's going on with the Hellfire Club. They have this downtime. They chill out with Angel, one of the original X-Men who's left the team, but is super, super rich dude. And he has this wonderful... He lets them hang out in his gorgeous home. And Scott and Jean go on a terrifying picnic. Um 
where Jean unveils brand new levels of power that she's never had before that scare the crap out of Scott. <laughs> um, firstly, she just takes Cyclops' glasses off. Ooh. He goes into a mad panic because yeah. his eye beams will kill her and level a mountain. And she's like, <laughs> don't worry about it. Uh, I'm powerful enough to just hold all that power back. And he's like, this shouldn't be possible. Mm, <laughs> My eye beams are highly destructive, and the only thing that's ever worked is the red ruby quartz, which just keeps them at... This is worrying. Um, she also casually changes her clothes by using her telekinesis to rearrange all the molecules in her costume. Oh, hello. And that these things really unnerve Scott. That's that's mega god level powers. But it's just like ding changed. Uh we we see no more of this picnic until several issues later when Scott recalls that during this picnic, Gene also said, hey, do you want to have an unbreakable telepathic bond with, between our minds? <laughs> so well, we can always it. hear each other's <laughs> thoughts and communicate without speaking. And he's like, yeah. That Let is... my girlfriend know my every thought. That's that most... sounds cool. This goes beyond terrifying and becomes the world's most passive-aggressive picnic. Oh man, it, it. I mean, he's really, he's really into the the, the psychic bond. Mm. He's like, yeah, I don't see a problem with that. But I mean, who knows, man? Maybe she's changing his thoughts. It looks like having dinner with a monster, if you ask me. Yeah, that that is incredibly frightening. Wow. Okay. Back to the story, then. At the Inner Circle Club in New York, two more figures wearing 18th century clothes, Sebastian Shaw and Harry Leland, are chiding their cyborg brethren, Donald Pierce, for failing to capture Dazzler earlier. Leland starts to punish the cyborg using his powers. He's stopped by Shaw, who reminds him of his oath that he swore. Just then, two more figures enter the room. Emma Frost and Jason Weingard. Or Wingard, sorry. Wingard, yeah. I, I don't know, it just looked German to me, and I immediately went for German spelling. Uh, also known as Mastermind. Emma tells the others about the Phoenix. Do they, can I, do they call him Mastermind there in that scene? Uh, later they do. Okay, I cool. Think. But I, I, I thought it'd be best to just call him Mastermind now and get it over and done with. <laughs> don't never write a mystery novel will <laughs> so uh, just to let you know before I carry on the story Jeff the killer enters the room <laughs> and looks the with glaringly at Susan <laughs> I've never liked you Susan I hope nothing comes of it one day right that's a fine t-shirt what's that it says it says I am the killer I shot the man in the face uh, <laughs> anyway uh, Emma tells the others about the Phoenix and retells the events of the Phoenix Saga. After the saga, it turns out that the Phoenix deposited the Emcran crystal into the sun and returned to Earth, where a still-possessed Jean Grey was found by Charles. Leland questions Emma as to how she knows this, and she reveals that she got the information from Xavier's computer. Jean Grey's plight has put Charles under pressure, and he has been distracted. Emma says that the Phoenix is a great power that could be wielded by their group. Mastermind says that the Phoenix is only as strong as the mind that holds it and that the mind is the place to attack. Uh, I I had an uh, ex who dressed up as Emma Frost one Halloween and she did a really good job of it. She got it just right. I'm 
no, I don't want this podcast to go in a different direction. I'm just going to say respect to you, sir, and then we're just going to move on. Respect. <laughs> just she, respect. No, it's a, respect. It, she did uh, poison ivy one of the years. In fact, in fact, and another ex I had once dressed as rogue for Comic Con. I'm not saying I ha- I don't think I have a type, but there's patterns <laughs> in my past past romances. Man. Yeah. Okay. So what can you tell us about the health? Sorry. <clears throat> in a circle club. Not the Hellfire Club. There are children present. We don't want to corrupt them. Okay. The Hellfire Club is a, was a real club um, in, in, in the 18th century in Britain and Ireland. Um, and was, there were several that had that name, but the one mm. that everyone really talks about was um, St. Uh, Francis Dashwood's Order of the Friars of St. Francis of Wickham. <laughs> Wickham! Um, <laughs> Orders of the Friars of St. Francis of Wickham. The, they were uh, meeting places for people of quality, yep. right, to go and do perverse immoral acts. Perceived perverse immoral acts. As in visit Wickham. <laughs> <laughs> or hi, Wickham. I don't know which Wickham they mean. And, and the, the, the people were all, you know, um, very well-to-do, rich, and involved in often involved in politics and stuff, and you know, highly blackmailable. Mm. Um, uh, it, it, and rather interestingly, in 1781, after uh, Sir Francis Dashwood had died, his nephew Joseph Alderson um, he founded at Oc- one of the Oxford colleges mm. a replacement group. In honour of his dead uncle, yes, and as a symbolic kind of rising from the ashes, it was called the Phoenix Society. Aha, there's the link. Um, uh, yeah, so so there's that. There was also there was a. I mean, it was it, 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 Hellfire Club crops up in quite a lot of um, literature and pop culture stuff. There was a, a film in 1960 called The Hellfire Club with Peter Cushing in it. Um, oh yes, so yeah. It's bobbing around. It's not. It's not an obscure historical reference. Yeah. Um, yeah. When when creating the Marvel version, um, Chris Clement and uh, John Byrne they drew heavily on the nineteen sixty six episode of the Avengers spy series mm-hmm. called A Touch of Brimstone. In that episode, John Steed and Emma Peel attempt to infiltrate secret British society. The Hellfire Club, um, whose members have the inner circle and all wear period costumes. <laughs> Emma Peel's disguise to get admitted to the club is as the Queen of Sin. She dresses in a black leather corset, uh, as the boots, the whip, almost exactly as 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 what Jean Grey looks like as the uh, the end of the thing as the as the Black Queen. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the 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 group in the the inner circle in the Avengers TV series um, was led by the actor Peter Wingard. Peter Wingard is best known for his role uh, as the lead in an ITC spy adventure series like The Prisoner and Danger Man yeah, that yeah. was called Jason King. So they put together Peter Wingard, Jason King, and had Jason Wingard um, as the name of uh, of one character. The other members of the of, of, of the Hellfire Club were similarly kind of their names and faces drawn from famous actors. 
So Sebastian Shaw was based on the actor Robert Shaw. Aha, yes. And looks like him. Harry Leland is very if you if you look at the I don't know if it comes across quite so much in the cartoon, but reading the comic the comics, he's um based on Orson Wells. Um, he does have that same rotund appearance as Orson yeah. Wells with the beard as well, yeah. And he plays Harry Lyme in The Third Man. Mm. And there's a reporter in Citizen Kane called Jed Leland, so Harry Leland. Right, uh, gotcha. Donald Pierce was based on Donald Sutherland. Ah, um, okay. Who played Hawkeye Pierce in MASH. So right, okay. Donald, Donald Sutherland, Hawkeye Pierce, you get Donald Pierce. Very good. Um, it's uh yeah and it, it, it the hellfire club is pretty similar it, you know it, it's a it's meant to be the highfalutin society where the rich famous and influential go to play and do depraved debauched things membership is passed on to descendants and all of that sort of stuff and it gets very spicy in the in the marvel universe um when sebastian shaw takes over and forms this inner circle and this inner circle he takes over alongside emma frost uh, Sebastian Shaw becomes the Black King. Mm. It's, na- it's chess names, black and white. Kings, queens, rooks, bishops, all of that. So Sebastian Shaw is the Black King, and he uh, is a mutant with the ability to absorb any kind of energy and, and, and transform it into his own raw strength and speed and durability. So if you whatever you do to attack him comes back at you because he just gets stronger and faster and more durable. It's kind of like the blob, but he actually reverses it back on you. Yeah, yeah. and also he's not a blob. And also, um, he, yeah, he does look like a pile of lard. Uh, no, Emma, Emma Frost is the White Queen, and she has you know powerful psychic abilities. Harry Leland is the Black Bishop. Harry Leland's ability is to increase the mass of another person or object. Um, when you say mass, do we? You don't mean make them bigger. You mean make them heavier. It, it, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't mean their mass. It means increase their mass weight. Mass weight. Yeah. Sorry, Kerbal Space Program coming back. We want to deal with mass and size and volume. And it's like, yeah. It, it, when it, when they say increase mass, it's like you get after. <laughs> when I think, I think you make them bigger as well. What? What? Increase their mass. Yeah. yeah. No. Not no. quite. Um, not quite. Okay. Good. Donald. Yeah. Pierce yeah. is the uh, white bishop, and he's the only non-mutant in the group, in the inner circle. I was wondering about that, because I was like, what's his power? He just has a robot arm. That's not a power. He, all his limbs are, are, are ro- he's a cyborg. All his limbs have been replaced, um, which give him great strength. He's got, you know, Steve Austin, really. But yeah. not the good Steve Austin, the rubbish one. That oh, I don't care about. They, they, they're both fine in their own ways. They're both fine. One is a lot better. Depends who you ask. <laughs> Next time I see you, you're getting Stone Cold Stunner. Um, <laughs> and, and and Jason Wingard is a new admittance to the inner circle when we start reading the comics. He's a mysterious new villain mm. who, dashing kind of romantic figure who seems to know a lot about the X-Men, even though they've never seen him before, and has this hold over Jean Grey. During the story, he is revealed to be one of the X-Men's oldest enemies um, from their original run in the 1960s, Mastermind, who looks completely different. He's a member of Magneto's original Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, and he has the power to create very, very convincing illusions. So what he's done is created an illusion 
essentially of a completely different person, powerful and better looking and romantic and and handsome and everything. And he's given himself a new name, and that's the illusion. Peter Wingard, Jason Wingard, is the illusion. And underneath is this this wretched villain mastermind. Um, yeah. So he's his his. <laughs> you're gonna hate me for saying this. His superpower is catfishing in real life. Yeah, it's it's, uh, <laughs> it's IRL catfishing. IRL catfishing. <laughs> okay. Hundred percent. That's. I, I thought I I thought I'd get a frown for saying that. I'm so glad you joined in. Anyway, back to the story. At the mansion, a bed-ridden Jean struggles to. I'm just going to interrupt there. I was pouring myself a drink and I realised it sounded very much like I was I don't know if the microphone picked it up or not but I could hear it through my headphones it did sound like I was taking a whiz hey I guys, absolutely I've, not I've listened to the podcast for a long time and, 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 and I've subscribed for two months and I thought I'd write in does Rob regularly urinate during a recording does he do it in uh, well, the I toilet here, here are your options I've got a bottle right and the option are I drink from the bottle and it sounds like horrible slurping like this I can't hear it. That's fine. Or it sounds like I'm going to the toilet by pouring it into a glass. Do you know what you should do next time? Is just I go no man. Go, you should go ah at the end of it to keep people guessing. <laughs> I've realised I can't do it like that because it does actually genuinely make me want to go to the toilet. So I can't. <laughs> that sound is psychosomatic, man. <laughs> anyway, enough of my slurping and weeing. Let's get back to the show. <laughs> Sorry, you've broken me. <laughs> That's a sentence we'll never be able to repeat in any context. Whew. Okay, as I said, at the mansion, a bedridden Jean struggles to control the energy of the Phoenix. Charles worries that Phoenix's mind is becoming dominant. Through Jean's body, the celestial entity is experiencing sensations it has never experienced before. When Scott tells Jean about protecting Dazzler the night before, Jean throws a sudden jealous rage, but calms down immediately. Later that evening, Storm offers to watch over Scott so he can get some rest. However, as Scott leaves the room, the inner circle use their psychic powers to put Jean into a dream state where she is rescued from drowning by Mastermind on an old wooden ship from the 18th century. So obviously that's Mastermind's power there, that's the reality thing, but doing it in her sleep. Is, 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 yeah. Is, is, okay. Yes, that's fair. So I guess so. Yeah. This this feels like an Inception style ploy to plant an idea in her head, but this bit wasn't. This, this felt like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. It is. So this weird 18th century dream stuff does does happen in the comics as well. Okay. So it does. So yeah. Um. Gene keeps running into this handsome stranger, Jason Wingard. On the street and in places around in Westchester, oh. she bumps into him and uh, in Manhattan and stuff. And whenever she sees him, she gets carried off into these uh, elaborate. She calls them time slips, but it's these <laughs> elaborate dream fantasies where it's the 18th century and Wingard is this uh, sort of Mills and Boone romantic, you know, romance figure. Oh, it looks so much <clears> like <throat> that. Yeah, he sweeps her off her feet, um, and he, he she has her name. She is Lady Grey, and all this kind of stuff. Um, it goes on for several issues with no explanation. It's not when she's asleep; it's when she's awake. Um, 
And whenever Jean snaps out of the fantasy, she doesn't know what to make of it, and she feels ashamed because she's thinking of another man and fantasizing, literally fantasizing about mm. a, a man, a handsome stranger, when she's trying to patch things up with Cyclops and kind of get together with him. But yes, the whole the whole thing is part of Jason Wingard's seduction of Jean. Right. There is a very definite sensual and sexual element running underneath it all. Uh, Mastermind has found, thanks to Emma Frost and the Hellfire Club, has found a way to project his illusions directly into Gene's mind. So it's, which so, he's never been able to do before. Right. So he's using his powers of like implanting reality or whatever. And using Emma Frost as like a as a node or a proxy to convert that into a dream thing, like a transmitter. Transmitter, yeah, I like that. That's that's interesting. Um, and his big thing is making her desire him and love him, yeah, so that he can control her through that. And as the Hellfire Club story starts up, these illusions, um. That she calls, that she, start, she starts to call them time slips. Mm. She starts to believe that she, there's no suggestion these are illusions. It's that she believes, and there's no explanation for what's going on. No, as you're reading it, you've no idea who Jason Wingard is. He's a brand new character. He's a stranger to you, like he's the Gene. But Gene's explanation is she starts to believe she's reliving memories of an of an ancestor, Lady Grey who was actually a part of the Hellfire Club in the 18th century and was the Black King, the Black Queen, and was the lover of one of Jason Wingard's ancestors. So that's her rationale for it. That's what she starts to believe. That's the idea that is planted in her head, that she's reliving memories that she's dug up, perhaps through the power of the Phoenix. She's reliving past lives. Uh-huh, okay. It causes her to really think fondly to desire Jason Wingard to trust him you know all of his emotions are coming up through these these mem- these alleged memories yeah okay okay so back to the story on the ship in the dream jean can't remember her old life with mastermind convincing her her old life was just a dream and that she's a stowaway looking for passage to america as the two embrace to kiss jean wakes up screaming storm tends to her apparently emma frost powers weren't enough this time with Mastermind saying that they need a different plan. However, back at the mansion, when Storm returns to Jean's room with a glass of water, she is shocked to find the bed scorched and the windows broken. The Phoenix has taken Jean's body for a ride. Jean teleports herself to an alley in New York, appearing in a new, dark version of a Phoenix costume. She has to fight to suppress this side of her personality and manages to turn herself back into Jean Grey. Carrying on from my discussion about whether or not to keep her held as a prisoner on Muir Island, you think at least if they're going to put her in the put, put her in the mansion, they could put her in a better contained room, possibly without. But a, see, you, you, you little fascist, Will Preston here, who wants to lock up sick people one of the, instead I, of heat, helping them. I want put them in lo- a prison. I want to lock up. Hear me out here, and forgive the vernacular. I want to lock up the most overpowered person right now in a vault. That, I think that would be Charles Xavier. Why don't we lock up Charles Xavier? Sorry? Why don't we lock up Charles Xavier in a vault? Because he's He very recently it- lost control of his powers and created an evil version that attacked the X-Men. And he's massively overpowered, to use your approach. 
Why don't we lock old Chuck in a prison? In fact, why don't we have big robot helpers to help us track down all these powerful characters that may lose control but haven't yet and lock them all up? And if they get antsy, maybe, maybe we put them into some big showers and we march them in there and we flip a switch. Will fascist Preston. All I'm saying is that maybe they should have met, put it put it to plexiglass windows. That's all I'm saying, mate. Plexiglass windows. Bus, bus shelter windows. Bus shelter windows. <laughs> mate, I wasn't talking about mutant concentration camps. I'm just talking about better windows. <laughs> oh, my God. What a thought path to go down. Jeez. It's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope. First you get plexiglass windows, then you you're can... committing mass murder. In, in any argument, Will, you can never bring out the Hitler comparisons too early. That's how I argue. <laughs> Is it was it was it was it Godwin's law or Rule Thirty Four? No, it's Godwin's law. Rule 40. Godwin's law. Rule Thirty Four is the other one. Uh, so, does Jean have trouble controlling her powers like this in the seventies? Yeah, around this time with with the Hellfire Club, like <laughs> Cyclops says to her, uh, "There's some bad guys in that car. Stop that car!" And okay. she crushes this car no it's it's a it's, it's like they it's like they hit a a a, a brick wall okay it's not like a cube is it well she 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 crushes the front and the back but it, it's it's a brutal thing that takes place it, it is implied that she has killed the henchmen or if not severely injured them she uses that phrase of scott is like what the hell have you done I said, stop the car. You know, you're deft enough to change the molecules in your costume to be another type of cloth. You couldn't have, like, made the car stop or taken the tyres out. Um, and her, her response is, they got what they deserved, which... And you see these crumpled bodies, you know, so the implication is that she's killed them or she's, I don't know, Heart very was, crippled them. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then during the Hellfire... Yeah, during the Hellfire, the, the first kind of encounter with the Hellfire Club, which is with more with Emma Frost. Mm. Emma Frost is trying to recruit Dazzler, and she's trying to recruit young Kitty Pride because they're new mutants that Cerebro has just detected, and yeah. the Hellfire Club wants to recruit them before the X-Men do. She gets into this battle with... this psychic battle with Emma Frost, and wow. um, it is... Yeah. She she goes kind of full Phoenix against Emma Frost, and she is killing her with her psychic powers, and it terrifies Storm, who was watching. Um, and then this huge explosion, and Emma Frost is presumably dead and killed by the Phoenix. Um, I always wonder how how that sort of comes off psychic battles in comic books, you know? Because you think, oh, unless they're picking up things and throwing at each other, it's just going to be two people rubbing their heads at each other, like scanners. Well, no, because they don't. They they tend to draw the elaborate um, bolts of psychic energy going back and forth. Sometimes the battle takes place on the astral plane. Yes, that's the um, one. Any time that the Shadow King is involved in the X Men, maybe we'll do that one day. That'd be cool. The Shadow King's really, really nasty villain. Did I, did, um, did he pop up in the animated series? I reckon. He, I think he did. Yes, the Shadow King does. Yeah, yeah I mean, I the animated that. series is a great way of actually. Uh, us dealing with certain stories and characters that don't get a lot of airtime anywhere else. Yeah, I think I also need to go uh, and watch the entire Spider-Man animated series as well. Oh, it's great. We've got some fun with that next year because we've got some. You think we've done Spider Verse? I think we're going next year. We're going to have to do the original Spider Verse. Oh um, damn! That's going to be some fun. 
Are you finished? I am. Yes. Are you finished? You know, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was that was the it, that was Jean losing control of her powers. Yeah. In, in, <clears> in the over one year, in a year and a half, we've been doing this podcast. Uh, finding out when you finished has become my special power. <laughs> Without, okay, without any cool. visual clue, cues or anything like that. Anyway, I'm not even a hand signal. It could just be. I, I like I hand know. signals. They, they anyway. Um, okay. Make me feel like I'm in the army. Uh, <laughs> back to the story. At a club in New York, Scott is watching Dazzler perform again, unaware that Jean Grey has entered the club. Jean doesn't know how she got there or why she came, but is shocked when she sees Scott and Dazzler embrace outside. Mastermind and Emma Frost pull up in a car with Frost suddenly detecting that the Phoenix's mood has drastically changed. Inside Scott is so inside Scott is shocked to see Jean and is even more shocked when he sees Jean walk past him and kiss Mastermind. Running after outside the club, Scott is ambushed by the same thugs that tried to kidnap Dazzler the other night, but is able to take them on again. So has Scott moved on and started getting feelings for Dazzler, or is this all a big misunderstanding? It's a, it's a, it's just a misunderstanding, isn't it? She, yeah. He, Scott, Scott doesn't initiate the Dazzler. This is the guy yeah. that saved Dazzler's life yeah. the night before. Dazzler sees him again and grabs him and kisses him. And Scott's re- is the reaction in the cartoon is that Scott is like, "Whoa, I've I've just come see see you twice in a row in this rundown bar." <laughs> that is, that is inexplicably playing pop music. Yeah, but Scott's like a Scott's like a you know he's a heroic he was a heroic guy who just saved her. Like, yeah, that warrants that warrants a uh, a little a little smooch. I reckon. <laughs> not that good deeds should be rewarded with physical intimacy. I am not suggesting that we are we are not basement dwellers. We are definitely not basement dwellers. Anyway, back to the story. Later, Cyclops regroups of Storm, Wolverine and Gambit in an effort to find Jean, and their search brings them outside the Inner Circle Club. They could only find her using Logan's feral instinct because Charles couldn't find her telepathically. Storm suggests that maybe Jean doesn't want to be found. Flying to the roof of the club, Rogue looks through a skylight to witness Mastermind and Jean Grey about to get married. But before they kiss... The X-Men storm the building to stop the ceremony. Stop the wedding! <laughs> it's a classic trope. <laughs> You're Mrs. Robinson! So I, 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 I was nearly going to do that, but I wanted to go, Mrs. Oh Bouvier! Yeah, I, knew, I, I really knew that was where we were going. Come then. on, that was that was a, that, that moment in The Graduate's been spoofed so many times, but I think The Simpsons did it just right. Especially when he falls and continues yelling. Anyway, anyway. Rogue is unable to take on Shaw as his mutant ability, as he said, allows him to absorb every single attack she lands on him. Wolverine and Storm manage to disable Pierce's cyborg arm, but before they can deliver the final blow, Leland uses his his powers to slam Logan through several floors into the (coughs) sewers below. Shaw takes down Cyclops after absorbing his ocular ray. However... His ocular ray? Is that what it is? (laughs) I thought that's what it was. Would you, would you? Well, I mean, again, I've never, uh, optic blasts is what we tend to call Cyclops's uh, ocular ray. I've never. It's, 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 I mean, it's not. It's not incorrect. But I it, wrote I've this never when I was it. ill. Leave me alone. <laughs> Stand back. I'll use my ocular ray on you. It sounds like something Stanley would write. So yeah. <laughs> well, well, great. I, I don't. 
So Although no, because it's, too, it's actually too it. scientific. Ocular, um, yeah, it's it's too. I, I think I think that's that's a tra- that's a, that's a, like a calling card of me. I got teens it. won't know what ocular means. Yeah, I got it. I got it exactly right. That's the problem here. And and yeah, and disenfranchised everyone. I don't care as long as the, as long as it's correct, Rob. I don't care who gets hurt. <laughs> How oh it? now i know why you've married german that makes sense now the personalities match i oh, get God. it now <laughs> I, I want to disagree but no, she, she, she likes being very correct uh-huh yeah, yeah. however <clears throat> back to story however storm freezes short on the spot in a block of ice but is swiftly taken down by none other than phoenix Phoenix says she is no longer Jean Grey. She is only her body and her senses. She is now 100% Phoenix. She then kisses Sebastian Shaw and calls him her husband. What can you tell me about this burger? Oh, that's 100% pure Phoenix. There's no Roskin there. That That is 100% pure Phoenix. We've got, we got, we got, yeah. we got a slow motion shot of a Phoenix being thrown through some dripping water <laughs> and then chopped in midair. Although, full, full, full warning, um, every time you try and eat it, it just comes back to life and flies away. So, yeah, sorry about I, that. No, but hey, all for the low price of 2 99 uh, <laughs> So, what do we have here? A great cliffhanger. Brilliant. That's what we want in the side. Actually, a lot of episodes of the X-Men have uh, cliffhangers. But, they do, yeah. But this well, because one... they've got, they got great ones to draw from. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And this in, is indeed a great cliffhanger. The X- this is a real Empire Strikes Back, isn't it, this one? Yeah, this is this is totally, totally flipping around. So, the X-Men are completely defeated here. Is this how Jean becomes corrupted? Pre- yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost, almost exactly. I mean, she... She fully gives in to these illusions where she believes that she believes in memories and, and she kind of becomes this lady grey, black queen. So she and the final reveal is not that I am now the Phoenix. She reveals herself as the black queen of the Hellfire Club. Yes. So um she just accepts this this identity um because it's like a, a decadent role that allows her to relish the extremes of human emotion which seems to be you know something that she's more and more into now she's got this phoenix power and it begins to break down the barriers that she had erected the barriers kind of like the moral and ethical barriers between her humanity and her insane power levels um as the as the x-men investigate the hellfire club they've gone in like all gone in, you know dressed up really really fancy to the to this like hellfire club event um jason wingard like whisks gene away in the dance floor she experiences this other time slip fantasy and fully gives in mm. and then scott is like looking around for his girlfriend and he sees wingard like le- taking gene upstairs and it all looks very illicit and sexual like they're going off to have an affair right in front of him yeah but they're going upstairs to the bedrooms Scott chases after them, and the last second, he sees Jason Wingard smirks at him, but the Wingard illusion slips, and for the first time, Ooh. he sees that it's 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 actually Mastermind, one of his oldest enemies. Ah, oh, that, that's very it had been good. A, it had been a long-running mystery ever since they kind of introduced Jason Wingard. Who is this guy? So that would have worked well in the comics, but obviously not in the cartoon, because the, cart- the animated series did not 
uh, cover mastermind, did did they? Yeah, I don't think so. And it, you know, he would have been a background character if he, if if that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And so he chases after them, but then he gets blasted by a powerful bolt of energy and kind of completely just you know not dead, but very nearly. And Jean Grey emerges from this this kind of bedroom with Jason Wingard, and she emerges as the Black Queen, dressed exactly the same as like Emma Frost. So she's got the corset, mm. the the thigh high boots, and the, she's just wearing underwear, and she's got a whip, a uh, very kinky kinky getup. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, that's uh, that's the big cliffhanger here and reflected in the comics. Uh, first episode thoughts then will thoughts and reactions it was good it was good it was more psych well i, I don't want to be obvious here. it was way more psychological than the beginning of the uh, phoenix saga which was way more it, 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 high, high kind of action and high sci-fi and space opera yeah. and whatnot this seems to be more about attacking the character uh mm. rather than uh ha- have it launching an adventure i think what i need to introduce now at this stage um because several times in the cartoon it has explicitly mentioned Mm. that there is a cosmic entity an alien-like being living inside of gene gray okay i need to state that is not explicit in the comics right is it implied or is it the so the two creators, Chris Clement and John Byrne, have completely different opinions of what is being presented, and it can be read one of two ways. Ooh. And it was not designed to be read one of two ways. Ah. So oh dear. Chris Chris Clement is of the belief and try to present it that Jean Grey is possessed by an alien being. Okay. There is no explicit language like like we get in the in the cartoon series that you've talked about. Charles communicates with the being inside of her and all of that. There's none of that. But Clement believes that in the in the in the you know the shuttle that was coming down, they were all going to die. Jean calls out for help, and like gets possessed by this phoenix spirit, right? This alien being. John Byrne, the other kind of co-creator of this time, not back then during the phoenix was created, but now. He believes that, because it's not explicit, what he saw was Gene get irradiated by cosmic rays like the Fantastic Four. Ah, and okay. became powerful enough to bring herself back from the dead and have all these new vast powers. This is not, according to John Byrne, who's the co-creator of the Dark Phoenix saga, Gene is not possessed by an alien being. She is exactly the same woman she was before. She has just been given vast cosmic powers on top of her mutant powers. But, but it's all her. But but the whole lot, it's, it's almost like she's gone schizophrenic talking about herself as being the phoenix. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, this, this is like, it, 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 he, he believes this is kind of like an identity that she kind of came up with to save herself. She came back from the dead, which is what a phoenix does. You think so they, it's kind of like this is the is the idea she has. Yeah, you'd think they would have uh, had a sit-down and tried to get this finalised between them, wouldn't you? But I reckon that the story was too good just to stop. I reckon they just went, look, let's just continue and put our differences aside. The problem doesn't become apparent and come to a head and be necessary. They do not know 
there, there's this discrepancy in how they are pro- approaching the character mm. until the major event that takes place right at the end of the Dark Phoenix saga. Right. I'm letting you guys know now the discrepancy in the comic book between the two creators. One who believes Jean Grey is kind of possessed by this alien being that is compelling her and making her do certain stuff. And the other believes this is just Jean Grey with a lot more extra power and she's losing her her morality and her humanity and herself. This is important for us to know and be introduced now. It will become vastly apparent why in part two. We now need to crack on with part two of the Dark Phoenix saga, which I believe, Will, is the Inner Circle. Yes, the Inner Circle. At the mansion, Charles tries to freak Scott, but when radio contact fails, he uses his psychic powers to find him, but is blocked out suddenly. Cerebro is useless as well, as Emma Frost has activated a scrambler at the Inner Circle, blocking Charles's attempts at the club. Gambit, Rogue, Storm, Cyclops and Beast are locked in chains by their captors. Emma tells them she doesn't know how long she can block Charles's pros for. Just then, the Inner Circle's new member, Jean Grey, enters with her new husband, Mastermind. So there's a lot of infighting in the Inner Circle. Like The bad guys all seem to dislike each other. Is it, is it like this in the comics? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's classic Marvel, isn't it? As we've yeah. talked about from the start of the Fantastic Four and the, the, the early days of the Avengers, it's friction between everyone all the time. Nobody ever gets along, but especially the the, the villains. Um, as soon as we see the inner circle kind of interacting with each other, there's a clash between uh, Shaw and Wingard as to who should be the leader. Um, we see Wingard taunting uh, Donald Pierce for getting his arm chopped off. Leland insulting Wingard for not actually doing any physical fighting in that battle with the X-Men and kind of just letting it all come to him. And it, this is also very similar, if not very, very similar to how the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants uh, used to behave and kind of always behave, especially under Magneto. Mm. There was all this backbiting and, and infighting. And we... we we get to see the thought bubbles um, in the comic book. So, so we see that yes. Sebastian Shaw is planning to steal Phoenix away from Wingard and then kill Wingard. Whilst Wingard's thought bubbles, he's planning to depose, dethrone Sebastian Shaw as leader and then having murdered. So, yeah, all, <laughs> it's just constant, you know. It reminds me an awful lot of what I really like enjoyed from as a kid from the Transformers is that there was always... Um, Star Scream and all these other guys vying to like yeah. replace Magneto and be the real leader. And GI Joe had the same thing in Cobra. There was dissension in the ranks of the yeah. villains. And it's it's weird because I'm tempted to say, oh, it's a great way of showing that villains don't have any positive traits and they can't get on. But in the Marvel universe, that happens in the Avengers and the X Men all the time as well. So yeah, <laughs> it's I, just I think it should have animosity everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it happens. It happens. It's a very yeah. human thing. Everyone has their own different individual goals and desires agendas agenda that's what they, that's what they call it when you want to make something sound evil in a newspaper they have an agenda well newsflash everything has an agenda anyway back to the story man thing has no agenda we discovered that last time his agenda man thing has no agenda his agenda is to be close to emotions uh, oh only if they're around if they're not around he just vegetates and he is inert 
That's an agenda. Without no, it's not. It's no agenda. Okay, 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 okay. I'm trying too hard here. <laughs> anyway, meanwhile, in the sewers, the masked thugs, the masked thugs, search for the body of Wolverine, but instead find a very alive Logan who dunks them in the sewage. As the inner circle bickers over how to keep control over the Phoenix, Mastermind reveals how he's re- how he revealed her. Sorry, Mastermind reveals how he's revealed her to dark emotions she's never dreamed of, and that she wants more to the horror of Scott. Elsewhere, Wolverine sneaks back into the club and fights his way through endless bodyguards. In the dining room, the inner circle toasts Jean Grey, their new queen, while Scott tries to reach her with his psychic rapport. However, Emma Frost intercepts this and initiates a dream state where Scott's powers are gone and is at the mercy of Mastermind in a mental arena of his creation. I liked a little moment here where it finally happened. Logan quoted Dirty Harry. Why do you say, like, uh, finally happened? Because it it's just like, if anybody on the X-Men is, you know, is, is anything like Clint Eastwood, yeah. it's Logan. So you're going to, so eventually, it's just like, it's like, it's like. The anti-hero. The anti-hero, but it's like, it's like, it's like the elephant in the room. It's that thing you're waiting to do in the back of your mind. He goes, oh, would it be cool if he did the. Are you feeling lucky? Do I feel lucky punk thing? But with his adamantine claws, it's like, yeah, they did it. They did Dirty Harry, the Dirty Harry quote right there. So does he ever go all Dirty Harry in the comics? Because I I wouldn't be surprised because Dirty Harry is such a big icon of cinema. The, this is such a, this is again how, how, about how faithful this, this adaptation is. There's a scene in this where, where in in the in the cartoon where Wolverine is in the sewer mm. and he pops his claws, he looks up and there's yeah. a pipe above his head and he snarls at the camera. That is the one of the most iconic cliffhangers in the history of Marvel and the history of of X Men. It's the final page, last panel um, of issue 132. All the X Men have been destroyed and taken out. Empire Strikes Back, man. Ooh. Wolverine has been smashed through the whole building into the sewer. They think he's dead. Yeah. And after everyone else is gone, Wolverine, and please remember, uh, he's not a popular character. Nobody cares about Wolverine, and he's not like... He, the, he's not the person you think of to this day. Yeah. But Wolverine emerges from the sewer, pops his claws, and he's like, Okay, you've taken your best shot. Now it's my turn. And it was like it jazzed people up. Mm. The next issue, and that th- that 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 is be- that is considered one of the tur- this this is considered one of the turning points in Wolverine emerging as is the breakout star of the X Men and becoming popular. The next issue one three three is called Wolverine Alone. And the front cover, it's got Wolverine battling all these Hellfire henchmen, and it says Wolverine must do this on his own, like. And um, this, he, he's been shot and stabbed multiple times in all of this, right? This issue is the first time Wolverine demonstrates a healing factor. Uh-huh. Okay. It had never come up before. He may, he, he, I think maybe he said, I heal fast once. But it's like, but that's that, that could be anything. This is, he's taken rifle fire to the gut, and point blank range, which is why you think he's dead, and then he's back, um, unscathed. 
so that's that this is the start of a real thing with wolverine however he is not portrayed as unkillable whatsoever part of his appeal in this story is that he's the underdog that he cannot possibly fight his way through all these literal levels of this mansion with all these henchmen who are armed to the teeth like wolverine's own internal monologue is i am effed up I've been stabbed, I've been shot, I've been fighting for hours, I'm exhausted, I'm not going to get out of this. He, in this day and age, honestly, it's ridiculous. Wolverine is portrayed as this unkillable, immortal being. Um, and it, some of that's reflected in the, in, the, in the movies as well. It's it's kind of ludicrous. Mm. But at the time, that was not, none of that was the case. He is the underdog, which yeah. is how... A huge part. Listen, if you want to, if you want to book a hero in, in the in the in the wrestling world, you've got to book them as the underdog to get them over. <laughs> People support underdogs, the guys that, that are going to get their ass kicked, and then when they come through at the last minute, oh my word! Yeah, the speech he kind of gives a variation of this speech in issue one three three when he's all alone against um, against a henchman. He's narrowly so he doesn't. All that, all that's similar to the Dirty Harry thing is he says, I know what you're thinking. Yeah. It's not... He doesn't do the whole... Rip off the whole speech. He just starts it with, I know what you're thinking, which doesn't necessarily a Dirty Harry line, but it is in the shadow of Dirty Harry. It's um, also the worst thing a comedian can say on stage. <laughs> very true. Very I know true. what you're thinking. I look like X crossed with Y. So Wolverine has just like narrowly survived fighting all these armed guards on mm. his own... But you know he's been stabbed, he's been shot, he's exhausted, and this guy, this this heavily armed guy, has got the drop on him. Um, and Wolverine is like, I I can't I can't win this fight. So he gives this speech, which is like, um, you know, I know what you're thinking. Uh, he's been shot, he's been stabbed, he's all alone, he's got no friends left. Like you're thinking, you can put me down. He's like, but you know, you can't. He basically gives this speech to psych the guy out. Yeah, to get the guy scared, and the guy then drops the gun and surrenders. He's so scared of this like bleeding, feral, wild guy with claws coming towards him. Um, and Wolverine is deeply thankful that it worked because, in his own mind, his own internal monologue, he's like, "I couldn't have won that fight. I, I'm done for." Mm. Um, so there's a real point to that, and and it is. I mean, it, it it's really great in the cartoon that they used Dirty Harry because Dirty Harry is perhaps the most famous and the front runner of the anti-hero in action movies. Or in, oh, or in, absolutely. Cop movies, it's not an act- necessarily an action movie. And Wolverine's huge, huge appeal in the 80s and in the 90s was that he was the anti-hero. And there was this new thing emerging in superhero comics for the first time. You know, these gruff, violent, aggressive guys that weren't you know that weren't the same as the traditional square jawed heroes so it's a nice tying in um with perhaps the father of anti-heroes to the ultimate comic books anti-hero anyway back into the back to the story in the mental arena scott and mastermind fight each other with mastermind manipulating their surroundings to his advantage the villain claims that Jean's mind is helping him destroy Scott. <clears throat> Just then, Jean appears and tells Scott that she has been set free from the constraints of sympathy and morality. The phoenix inside aches for sensation. Suddenly, 
Mastermind appears and delivers a fatal blow to Scott. In reality, Scott screams and falls to the floor in agony in front of his teammates. He was able to survive the destruction of his psychic image, something that would have killed a lesser man. In the original story, does Cyclops get sucked into Gene's mind like this? Yeah, and he looks exactly like he does in, this, in the cartoon. Well, in this adaptation is so faithful, that, that kind oh, of get-up yeah. that he's wearing. The, 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 the whole um, illusion thing... It's not like into her mind. It's get well. It is. You get sucked into the illusion. It's in her mind. Um, so, yeah. But he, he, he. So what we see is that we 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 start to see the illusion from Jean's eyes. In the real world, we mm. see how the real world actually looks with the X Men all there uh, in the modern era. But then we see what gene is seeing and what gene is seeing is this like 18th century fantasy that is being projected into her mind she's the rich lady of the manor yeah colossus and cyclops are like farmhands which is 18th century farmhands which is kind of what cyclops looks like and she sees storm as a slave Ooh. a slave of her farm um, okay. And in this illusion, Jean is Lady. Well, not in this illusion. In the real world, Jean like starts hitting Storm with a whip, telling her that she owns her because in this illusion, sl- uh, Storm is her slave. Um, yeah, Scott realizes that he can use the psychic rapport between them to basically sneak into the her mind and try and contact her, and that leads him to getting sucked into the illusion and Wingard kind of having this this uh, this sword-fighting duel in Jean's mind. Wow. Okay. So back to the story. Emma Frost scans the unconscious body of Scott Summers and detects that he's still uh, psychically uh, connected to, to Jean Grey. Mastermind talks Jean into breaking this link. She struggles at first, but soon enough, the Phoenix takes over and advances menacingly on Scott. Before Phoenix can do anything, Wolverine bursts in, but is quickly knocked to the floor by the Phoenix. As the group is stunned by the power of the cosmic entity and Mastermind's ability to control her, Mastermind used this moment to force Sebastian Shaw to yield his position as chairman of the Inner Circle, with every member voting in his favour. Shaw threatens to destroy them all, while Phoenix unleashes her burning fury on Wolverine. You never see uh, democracy in action in cartoons, do you? <clears throat> no, not like this. No. Like, even though this isn't really democracy, this is a coup. <laughs> it's just... it's No, it's democracy. They all vote for it. Yeah, but they're voting for a coup. <laughs> I don't over... know. You, you vote to remove someone as chairman of the board. Oh, okay. I just saw that like the, the threat of violence as well is more like a coup. Yeah, yes, but that's the business that they're in. Ah. They're in the violence business, baby. <laughs> okay, daddy-o. <laughs> so does that, i, I got to ask again, does anything like this happen in comics books? Like, do, do, does this scene happen like this? I mean, do, does has Wolverine ever tried to fight Phoenix? This scene, exactly, exactly this scene happens. I don't think Wolverine w- was trying to fight. He doesn't know what's going on with Phoenix. He's been in the sewer, um, getting stabbed and shot. But yes, it, Wolverine has just done got done battling his way 
doing the sewers up like 10 levels of guards and hacking and slashing and getting shot and stabbed and finally he merged into save the x-men but as soon as wolverine comes to the door phoenix just uses her her, her, her vast telekinetic powers she just swats him away like he's nothing oh damn so yeah in that instance uh there's nothing he can do okay so as the phoenix starts to destroy the wounded wolverine one of Jean's memories comes back into view and Jean regains control, stopping her attack. As she comes to her senses, Mastermind takes her into talks her into destroying Shaw, but with an evil laugh, Jean regains control and, and she turns on the inner circle. A weak Scott pleads to Jean... Sorry, I think, she I think it was Phoenix regains control. I meant to put it down there. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that was that was my wrong in the notes. <laughs> a weak Scott pleads to Jean, and with a burst of energy, the Phoenix flies out of the building. The X-Men, now free from their bondage, start fighting the inner circle. But before they can get Mastermind, armed thugs enter the room, allowing Mastermind to escape. The X-Men take down the thugs with ease and continue their fight against Shaw, Pierce, and Leland. After Storm freezes the club, Shaw and Pierce escape into a secret passage. Is this how the X-Men battle with the Inner Circle goes in the comics? It, really, really similar. Um, although, <clears throat> Scott uh, is still able to use his psychic rapport with Jean to try and speak to, 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 the, to the part of her that's still like the woman he knows mm. and the woman he loved and everything. And there is she's still in there, so she actually uses her powers to free Cyclops and the X-Men. Okay. Cyclops goes nuts. Um, he... he as soon as he gets this, because the, they put this helmet on him that holds back his optic blast. As soon as he gets free, he 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 blasts the inner circle yeah. to hell. Um, the the X Men got their asses kicked by the inner circle the first time because they didn't know anything about them. Now Cyclops knows what he's dealing with. He immediately comes up with these strategies uh. to just counteract their powers at every turn. And beat them cold. Um, Sebastian Shawman, he's escaping and running away. He's said his inner monologue is like it says that Cyclops is this incredible leader and general. And as soon as Cyclops saw this opening, he knew how to get the X Men to turn the tables on in in this kind of in this kind of battle. And this is a key part of this run by Chris Clement. Cyclops in the comics, is this incredible soldier and great, great leader. I think we talked, I forget what episode we talked about it in, we talked about Cyclops, and I gave this example of when this new X-Men team come about in the 1970s that includes Wolverine, Cyclops gives a training session, and he single-handedly beats the whole team. <laughs> because he, he, he is, he's, he's a soldier, he's a strategist, and yeah. he just, he, he's got He's got his. He knows exactly how to use his power perfectly well. He knows they don't have any plan, and he's like bouncing his optic blast off Colossus's metal skin to take Storm out in the oh, sky and good. this, that, and the other. And he just wipes the floor with the X Men on his own. And he's like, "Okay, we got more training to do." Um, he's a real disciplined badass. It reminds um, that 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 kind of that one man against a group of people strategy and use you know adapt adapting like that reminds me of the because uh, I've been playing it a lot recently the uh, the Arkham Batman games 
Because when you're fighting right. different enemies, you have to adopt different strategies. Like some have got a shield, some have got a taser, so you've got to do different moves and stuff. So you have, yeah. and you have that combination of do that on that and that and that, and you have to think ahead as you're punching one person, punch the next, and change it up. There's a there's a good couple of um, stories where they really Mike Carey when Mike Carey had his run on X Men in the comics, mm. he really played up Cyclops as not just like the leader of his people, but also this brilliant wartime strategist yes um especially in this kind of battle against norman osborne who is in power and stuff and scott playing the the publicity game Ah. playing public opinion as well as putting a team teams together and, and counteracting the avengers and this that and the other and there is a there is a like a uh a big crossover series called avengers versus x men and Captain America and Cyclops meet on a beach head and like there's a real air of like Cap doesn't know what he's dealing with he doesn't know what he's in for <laughs> Cap, Cap Cap doesn't un- like and the public perception is Captain America the ultimate leader and there's this whole bunch of X-Men are like he's been doing this since he was 15 <laughs> he's been he's been fighting world ending villains since he was 15 Scott was raised to be a general and elite like he's this this is not going to go the way the avengers think it's going to go and <laughs> i i found that as a uh, as a really cool moment i'm a fan of you know catch america as well but like scott is kind of scott summers is very overlooked because the time when the x-men become popular it's like it's like trying to get recognition as a, a singer and an artist in a band with prince like Wolverine yes. is always going to yeah. overshadow whoever else is in the group yep. because of that anti-hero just hit the right mark at the right time and everything. But the the comic books, the the, the the cartoon series does Cyclops no favors. It paints him incredibly bland. Um, but is, it's is, not like that in the comics. This is why I always had a problem with Cyclops. I always thought he was too much of a goody two shoes, and you know, by the numbers. And, and he, he's just they just make him dad he's just he's the yeah. guy that has to come in and go come on guys calm down we gotta get up early tomorrow it's just a dull yeah but really he's more like ultra captain america he, it's hard to yeah no he's not um so i always compare captain america to um gary cooper in in high noon what about what happened to gary cooper he uh <laughs> sorry I couldn't resist it. I couldn't resist it. He's just this humble simple guy that takes the the does the right thing no matter how hard that path is. Mm. Cyclops will do he will he can be very very brutal in his decisions mm. if it means sacrificing members of his team if it means killing if it means doing this that the other cyclops is he's a he's a wartime general and he leads the people in that way like and Patton. he does terrible he he, yeah. he he will do bad bad things if it's gonna be for the great good of his species it's it's a hard one with cyclops to, to sum them all up really no it's, yeah. good, it's, it's, it's good you shed light on that because i don't know how many other people have the same opinion of cyclops because of my exposure <laughs> to cyclops well, it's not just, I mean, it's not just the cartoon series, it's the movies as well. He doesn't, oh. he's, he's just, again, he's, he's, he's kind of the, 
He's the guy that's got the girl you don't want to have the girl because he's, he's, he's kind of He's like the high school jock. He's the high school jock in those films almost. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. He, he, he's, yeah. he's all the preppy boy. The preppy boy who's got it, who's got everything. That's it. You see a guy who's got everything and then you see Wolverine come in as this underdog who's been screwed over and kicked around his whole life and has got nothing. And it's very hard to side with Cyclops in that respect. Absolutely, you're absolutely spot on with that one. So we're at we're at the last bit of the episode now. After the fight, the X Men can't find Gene or Cyclops. Meanwhile, on the roof of the Inner Circle, Mastermind tries to talk sense into Gene, but the Phoenix takes over and uses her powers on Mastermind. Phoenix tells Mastermind that by forcing her to do his, to do evil deeds, she has grown a thirst for how it feels to be evil. Phoenix shatters the illusion of the handsome Jason Vingard and exposes his truer, ugly, for, uglier form. Phoenix then shows Mastermind her true form, the true depths of her cosmic power, and seeing this overwhelms his brain. Mastermind collapses into a coma. Scott arrives on the roof and calls out to Jean, but she tells him that the mortal Jean Grey is dead. She erupts into flames and transforms into a dark red and gold version of her costume, announcing, I am fire made flesh. I am power incarnate. I am the Dark Phoenix. So much cool stuff in this episode, I think. Oh, is that yeah. how is that how Phoenix deals with Mastermind in the comic books? Just rips off the curtain, <coughs> rips off the veil to reveal I don't know. I, I don't know what he looked like. He looked very he looked like someone shrunk Vincent Price. Yeah, that's that's it is how he looks. She um she Phoenix goes um Mastermind has managed to wait out this massive fight between the X-Men and the Inner Circle by creating an illusion that no one can see him and he's part of the the furniture and part of the wall. Yeah. And then he slips out and he's in this dark, dark room. And then all of a sudden from behind him in the darkness, we see kind of like the in shadow, we see the Black Queen, we see Phoenix. And she just grabs him with this like... It is a psychically created psionic energy takes the form of a phoenix talon a giant phoenix talon and it grabs him and she's losing her mind uh she says do you have any idea what you've done what you forces you've set in motion you came to me when i was vulnerable you filled the emotional void within me you made me trust you perhaps even love you and all the while you were using me and then she does this thing, like in the comics, where she's like, "Oh, you wanted to understand what you wanted power. Oh, I can, I can show you power. I can show you the true definition of power." And the language that Clement writes is is really great. It's something different, and it and it goes, you, 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 we, the the art takes the reader in kind of like a an extreme close. We zoom in closer and closer on mastermind's eye oh and in his eye we see a swirling cosmos yeah and then we see almost mastermind's body made up of of a star constellation twisted and falling through and he's screaming and the language says 
At Jean's touch, his mind expands at the speed of thought, racing instantly from one side of reality to the other through all the infinite reaches of space and time. In the blink of an eye, Mastermind finds himself in touch with the universe, his brain flooded with all the myriad absolute contradictory truths of existence. He screams... Unable to cope, he runs. Unable to escape, he drowns. He is, after all, only human. A man of limited awareness, limited ability, transformed in a twinkling into a god. Is it- and then... Sorry, sorry. I, 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 I thought something similar happened uh, to Zaphod Beeblebrock's in one of the Hitchhiker's books. I think something similar where all the knowledge of the universe is suddenly put into his mind and it's overwhelming. It could well have been. It's a yeah. very influential storyline. Yeah. Um, and after we see him falling through the cosmos and we pull back out, we see Wingard completely gone and we just see Mastermind. But he is slumped, eyes open, but but um, rolled back, oh, rolled tongue, back. tongue out of his head, drooling, his mind completely, completely gone. Oh, God. So, in the original stories, is this how we meet the Dark Phoenix? Yeah, the, the, the X Men beat the Inner Circle. Well, no, it's not. It's not. It's, it's a bit different. The X Men beat the Inner Circle, and the, the Inner Circle run off. They escape through all these kind of passageways and stuff. Um, Cyclops sees Jean in the moment right after she has shattered mastermind's mind and the comic says as it describes her she walks out of this room where she's just committed this kind of like very violent act it says transfixed by an unknown sorry transfixed by an unhuman joy her burning soul spreads its wings and soars towards a destiny that will no longer be denied it is presented as like they the x-men won this battle but this battle is so small compared to what's about to happen this and this 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 rock has been rolling down a hill now for four years it's picking up this is this inevitable thing that scott has been terrified of that storm has been afraid of the professor x has been afraid of it is this this last encounter with Mastermind and the Hellfire Club has just pushed it over the edge, and and this is it. And Scott immediately knows this is really really bad, um, and and he Jean's power is out of control, and all his fears are coming true. She's enjoying it is the worst thing. Inhuman joy, unhuman joy, is the scary part of of the of the phraseology and of what Jean is experiencing. She's taking pleasure in doing these things and in having this power. And he doesn't say anything, Cyclops, but he's like he's packing all the X-Men into their like their like kind of space their, their like whatever their ship is. It's not it's not the Blackbird, but whatever it is. And he's thinking to himself, okay, uh okay, but I can't I can't solve it. I, I've just but I've got to move fast. Um I'm gonna fly this ship at breakneck pace get to find professor x and he can stop this he can help this but the phoenix has complete access to scott's mind she knows everything he's thinking Mm. and she's kind of like been walking along kind of shell-shocked after what she's done but 
once she hears this and knows there's a plan to stop her, the in a blink of an eye, this kind of gene vanishes. We see the red and gold costume for the first time. She announces herself as the Dark Phoenix and the the ship they are in, all the X-Men are in, just explodes mm. and the issue comes to an end. Bloody hell. Will, thank you so much for uh, taking us through in your imitable fashion all the way through the first two episodes of the Dark Phoenix saga. Um, final thoughts on, on, on these two episodes and, and, and how this has gone. It, it feels a bit low-key compared to the first uh, uh, Phoenix saga, the original Phoenix saga, but it's it, it feels like a more important character develop, uh, development is happening here, like it's more interesting. Yeah, there's certainly... Um, Although I don't know if we felt that way by the end of the first, we did we did three, two in the first one, didn't we? I don't know if we'd quite had all, we'd had alien and we had an alien for the first time, I guess, but we hadn't done all the Shi'ar stuff, I don't think. Yeah. By the end of the first of our first part of the Phoenix Saga, do you know what I mean? Yeah, that all came in the second. Yeah, there, there there was some interesting stuff happening, and like, but but this feels like this this is really cutting to the core of the character. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. And what's been your favourite piece of trivia, then, Marvel trivia, that you've learned in this episode? The fact that Wolverine wasn't a popular character at one point. I just find that really yeah. hard to take in. Yeah, man. He's a weird, old, hairy, short guy that, that is on a team full of, like, so teenagers and young, and kind of, like, young superheroes. He's so weird. is Danny DeVito. <laughs> very true very true <laughs> Wolverine great. opened a lot of doors for Danny DeVito yeah but yeah he's just it, it was a and he's Canadian not American and it was just no one knew what to make of him um and he didn't have a voice really until kind of John Byrne came along and mm. and uh then we start to get his mysterious backstory we start to get Alpha Flight and the Canadian government and stuff Incredible. Yeah, it's very, very cool. Reading list um, for this week's episode <clears throat> is Dark Phoenix Saga. Uh, the Hellfire Club story is rolled into the Dark Phoenix Saga. You can get um, trade paperback collections of it from, I think, the um, epic collections that Marvel do. Um, so, yeah, Dark Phoenix Saga, Chris Clement, John Byrne. There's plenty of trade paperbacks of it available out there. Please, 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 please do not use Amazon. Um, please use your local comic book shop. You can do a quick um, Google search or a Bing search and find out where your local comic book shop is. Um, if not, you don't have one in the area, you live perhaps on Muir Island very remotely, you can look online for uh, independent comic book shops that do deliver in your country. And I've done one, you know, you can pay by PayPal, you can pay online safely and securely, you can get them delivered to your home address in just a couple of days, just like you would with Amazon, but you uh, help support the comic book industry, which we all need. In the next episode, Will, mm. we are heading to the the final part of our, of our Phoenix overarching saga. It is Dark Phoenix Part 2, the final fate of Jean Grey. A controversial ending that was changed at the last minute. Writers arguing with writers, editors, arguing with their writers. It all goes up in the air. We'll have the original ending to the Dark Phoenix saga, as well as the one that is published, and we will find out what happens to the Phoenix going forward. It's a big episode. It's an exciting episode. It will close off 
one of our longest journeys here on Marvel versus Marvel. So don't go anywhere. Make sure you are with us for that one. Don't forget to head to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. There's a new mini Obscure Marvel episode every month and a full-length bonus episode this month in November. It is going to be Neil Gaiman's first Marvel story, 1602. 